You? Oh, you seem a little feisty. This is going to be a fun podcast. And we have our our triumvirate, our threesome, our third partner here, our third host on Mangum Talk Star Wars, Jamie. Jamie, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. How are you? Good. Um, you, y'all know when I say threesome, I'm talking about it's a golf metaphor, right? It, you have a threesome and a foursome when you're on the golf course. It's a golf thing. Look, Jamie, we just want to make sure it's very clear what I'm talking about. Jamie, Look, don't worry. He will someday understand our love. Yet. It's, it's a triad. It's a whole new thing. The sequels is sequels. We'll get into it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. The triarchy, uh, which reminds me, uh, if anybody's listening to this podcast and this is your main way of listening to our Mango Talks podcast, if this is your entry point to the Mango Talks podcast network, Spencer and I are doing an awful lot of work over on the Pod of the Dragon podcast feed, reviewing House of the Dragon week by week. We do two episodes every week. One is an immediate reaction immediately after the podcast airs on Sunday night, and then usually on Tuesday night week come through with a full recap where we do multiple hours. This last one was a full three hours, Spence. We went a full three hours. And this, and by the way, the upcoming episode is the longest one of the season, so we, Lord knows how long we'll go this time. Um, but content on content. So join us at the podcast, uh, podcast feed, Pot of the Dragon, for our review of House of the Dragon. A lot of fun. But the issue at hand is we are finally wrapping up our review of the prequels. We are going to review Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, today. I'm going to do my best to do a plot recap that is not too in the weeds. It is a two-and-a-half-hour movie. But before we get going, as always, I want to know general thoughts upon the rewatch. We all watched this back in the day, back in the, what, 2003 or whatever, 2004 when it was released. We had thoughts then. I'm sure we had thoughts along the way, but we recently rewatched it. What was your thoughts upon rewatching? I'm going to go to Jamie first. So, like the entire prequels, the things I remembered not liking are worse than I remember. But the things that were good are better than I remember. That's that's really my my one sentence summary of the prequels is that the, yeah. the bad got worse and the good got better. So kind of more the same for you as far as how you felt about the quality as you were watching episode three as opposed to yeah. two and one. Yeah, a, a little bit. I'd say so three. I actually had more of a increase in feelings in good feelings than my initial ones. Back when I watched them the first time, back in the day, I had a really strong attachment to episode two that I thought I had some bad, but I really loved it. I never really loved three. Rewatching it, though, you know, my argument on why it's the best is actually going to be a sincere thing at the end where I'm really impressed. And there's something that I love about three special. Spencer, did you hear that? He said... What I'm going to drop at the end. That was a tease. He gave us – this is a podcast professional. Man knows right gave radio. us a tease. That was fun. Well, that was awesome. Look, we're, if we're going to do a recap, you're probably going to figure it out about halfway through. But, ah, uh, see, now it's now it's pr- pr- uh, foreshadowing. You're going to have to mm. tease it out in the middle and then get the reward at the end. I am I'm Chekhov's spoiler. <laughs> Spencer, what you Look, think I just say some words. Sometimes, sometimes my words make sense. Let's move mm-hmm. on. What did you think upon rewatching, Spencer? Uh, has all of the same flaws as the other prequel films in a somewhat more slick, slick and more competently presented package. I have a question. Are you in such a foul mood because I'm making you do two podcasts today? There, that may be a part of it, yes, and Star Wars is going to suffer as a result. Look what you have Man, done. You're, you're, Spencer is fired. I'm going to go uh, to you a, a little less today than I normally would. <laughs> I was going to describe it as somewhat less shit, but I figured I'd dial it back a little bit here to start. So, yeah, we'll see where we go from here. And yet you still got that line out, so it was it still all worked. You yeah, still got the line out. Because you kept look, turning the camera to me. I wasn't going to say, but I guess I'll say. 
Look, Spencer, you keep this up. You're going to be demoted from co-host. We're just going to be a thruple. And eventually, I'll be the co-host, and you'll be the guest star. I'm just yeah. saying, watch yourself. Apparently, this entire series is about bringing balance, so you need my negativity. <laughs> Otherwise, the entire universe might collapse. I don't know. Spencer Spencer has a lot of fans. I don't know that I could replace him if I wanted to. Uh, all right, so let me tell you my thoughts on it. Uh, this is my second favorite Star Wars movie of all the Star Wars movies. My number one favorite is Empire Strikes Back. My number two favorite is Revenge of the Sith. If you just listen to that, you can probably get a sense of why I what I appreciate about the movies, right? Like I like the ones where the bad guys win more just inherently because it subverts expectations. It's more interesting to me than like the sort of let's wrap it all up with a big battle scene with the good guys won at the end and oh, wait, we're cheering and oh, good. I mean, that's nice at the end of A New Hope, right? There is a time and place for it, but I appreciate the movie where you're like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, I guess just the bad guys just fucking won, huh? Like, that's kind of like, I mean, you know, we know the Star Wars lore really well. I assume most of the people who are watching this know the Star Wars lore really well. But the, the casual person watching this probably did know that Anakin was Darth Vader and knew some of the basics. But, like, at the end of this movie, had to just go, what the fuck? Like, I, I, I guess the bad guys just won here. I like that. I also think that the the acting got better, particularly Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen in this film is so much better than two and one. Um, I think he got a lot better. Um, I will say some negative things about the acting, though, which maybe I can do right at the jump, and I, I'll get into that in a, in a second. But I guess I think that they started to – I almost kind of wish George Lucas had like was going to go ahead and do seven, eight, nine, because I feel like he was really starting to get his sea legs back under him again, feel a little bit better. As Spencer, who wants to just come on here and just shit all over the movie, even had to, he even had to say it looks slicker in the presentation, right? So they were clearly getting better in just movie making as a unit because this was kind of like a brand new thing for Lucas. He brought brand new people together. It was brand new technology, brand new actors, brand new story, etc. And I feel like he was finding his feet there in episode three. So episode three, I really enjoyed. Um, I also, oh, let me do, let me do a check-in. Jamie, uh, the Yoda CGI watch, what did you think of Yoda's CGI in this episode? So here's the thing, and I don't know why this is. I I accept the three Yodas that exist in the world. Uh, the Yoda from <laughs> Dagobah. People. The, the Yoda from, no, no, they're, they're the same one. There's just three three characterizations of Yoda. Like, there's only uh, two real Batmans, uh, Batman the Animated Series and Lego Batman. Those are the two Batmans that are real. Uh, there's three Yodas. There's Yoda from Dagobah. There's Yoda from Episode 3, and there's Yoda from Legos. Um, but 2 and 3 are basically the same. I'm okay with the Yoda CGI in this. Okay. It's fine. It's really just, for some reason, the, the Yoda in Episode 1, which I think I said it last time. I looked it up. Depending on what version of Episode 1, like the theatrical versus the VHS version, some had puppets and some had CGI. And just I don't know why. Neither one looks right to me, even though apparently it's the same. I think it's just what you said, where when they light up the CGI – and light up the puppets in bright lights. You see the flaws in the seams. Um, so even if it's the same Yoda in episode one, I reject it as creepy. Okay. There seems to be a better understanding of the weaknesses of CGI in this one as compared to Attack of the Clones, of where yes. they did, and particularly compared to Phantom Menace, of where they seem to have recognized that CGI is not a replacement for everything and made better efforts to, you know, in in post, go back and more effectively mask it to be more realistic rather than just, as they did particularly in Phantom Menace, just place it in direct sunlight in an open field and go, that looks great. Yeah, so, and that's sort of the legacy of the prequels going into Mandalorian, right? Because I feel like that's 
what Favreau and Filoni really took, and they've talked about this, what they really took away from the prequels is like, let's, let's do soundstage stuff. Let's, let's do puppets. Let's do like real ships, you know, where we can like cobble together something that, you know, is like actually a set piece where people are acting in. And uh, I think that made the Mandalorian a lot better. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like it was a slicker presentation. It's not perfect, but it was better than two and certainly way better than one. Interesting fun factoid, and not actually about Star Wars, but since you're mentioning it, I think this is a fun story. I worked backstage on a magic show in college. I was actually, and it was a slick, like thousands of dollars went into this. It was a big production. And half of their money went to hiring an actual New York lighting designer. They did their own sound design. They did a lot of the stuff, but they brought in a professional lighting designer because what you shine lights on brightly, what you let be dim, what you let be black is how the magic happens. If you get that wrong, then you see the seams. Things don't look right. And that's really important. I feel like that's a lot having to do with CG. You know, the smoke and mirrors of old, skilled movie making revolved around what you put light on. And Lucas didn't know what to do with mixing old and new together, I think. I I am curious what he would have done with the sequels, but I think I'm glad he didn't because I don't trust him as a director um, anymore. In oh, life. he would have done. He'd have done way better with the sequels. But the the move, the planets that they were in, um, I think helped with what it, what you were just talking about, Jamie, with the lighting. <laughs> they were on Utapo, right, and then Mustafar, and both of those kind of were like darker planets, and so that they could. It wasn't yep. like tattoo, like like Spencer said. It wasn't like Tatooine. It was like super bright, just like. The three sons of Tatooine on everything, and and like you know, Watto just looks completely ridiculous. So, um, I don't know. I I just felt like it's a little bit better. Hey, are you guys ready for me to say something negative about the film? Yes, I'm honestly concerned. All right, so I think that the actors that they got that were the biggest names were the worst in this film. I feel like. Uh, Natalie what? Portman. I feel like Natalie Portman was elaborate. Awful. I feel like Natalie Portman was awful as okay. Padme, and I feel like Samuel Jackson did not do a great job with Mace Windu. I feel like a lot of his okay. scenes are very one take, very um, let me rely on the fact I'm Sam Jackson saying this line as opposed to I'm acting it. And when I compare that with uh, what is it, Ian McDiamond? Is that the guy's name who does the um, McDermott or something like that? Ian McDermott. McDermott. Ian McDermott. When I compare it with him or even Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor, you know, Hayden Christensen may be a little bit less than Ewan McGregor, but those three actors to me blew the doors off of what the scenes that Natalie Portman and Samuel L. Jackson had. And so, like, it's kind of like a swerve take. I think that the actors that they likely paid the most for per scene who were the biggest names, Sam Jackson and Natalie Portman to me did the worst. And I think that they could have done a heck of a lot better with the Mace Windu character than casting Sam Jackson. Like I love Sam Jackson. I I'm a huge fan. He seemed to just show up, read his lines and leave in this deal. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot behind it. That was my take. What do you guys think? I'll start with, um, I'll, I'll start with Spencer. I would largely agree. I think the acting in this film the quality of the acting in this film is directly dependent on how far everyone is physically away from Ian McDermott at any given time. And I think he <laughs> elevates anyone that he's next to, with the notable exception of when I'm sure his stage directions were utter ham. Because, good God, is he instructed to go just straight chewing the wallpaper levels of ham at certain scenes in this. Ham? He loves doing it. Uh, go, going completely over the top in terms of his, in terms of his acting. 
act, acting for the back seats. How Tim Curry. Oh, oh, you mean like a, like the when he's on the floor with Mace Windu, he goes, no, no, no. That, that oh, yes, that, that that's he's clearly it's an instruction. Clearly, he's, his instructions are be be as megalomaniacal as humanly yeah, he's possible. He's trying to trying to flip personas. Yeah. And, and he sells that. It's just so over the top that I'm giggling while I watch it. Can we award that, worst line of the worst line of the episode to Anakin? You're breaking my heart. Uh, dear yeah. Christ, yes. I, I and, mean, and then second, Natalie Portman gets honorable mention for me too because there's that awful scene between her and Hayden Christensen where she's like, "I think it's just because you're in love with me," and he's like, "No, it's because I'm in love with you." Like they they do like the 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 writing twice. I caught in this in this thing where they do the. Um, it's probably because I'm taller than you. No, it's probably because I'm taller than you. Like it's like a three-year-old wrote it. Like it, th- that happens twice. The the sort of like, no, it's because of this. No, it's because of that. It's, it, I, I've got. To, I mean, I would agree. Somehow, I don't even know how they found a way. The the uh, Anakin Padme scenes in this movie are even worse than Attack of the Clones. I didn't know they could find a subfloor to build that particular structure of a relationship in, but they found a way. They are they are having to you know have constant sump pumps going to drain the water from how deep of a level they found for those scenes. However, so he, go ahead. My my, wor- my worst one though is a single line, it, just because it's been mean to death. But Darth Vader at the end shouting no is a horrible decision to have the last line of Darth Vader in a movie. It's just, it's not well delivered. It's not a great call anyway for the character. And that for me is the single worst. I disagree with that because the, that, I mean, he needed to show emotion. I mean, his whole point, his whole, ostensibly his entire point in switching to the dark side, or at least the decision point for him was I'm going to save Padme, and then of course he does it. And then there's there's a really great comic series which I bought you, Spencer. You probably didn't read, but uh, um, it's um, there's a there's a I think it's in the the issue I got you where they actually do a comic of Vader when he when he figures out that Padme died, he turns on Palpatine and he's like, "Fuck this! Like I'm not doing this." And then Palpatine makes it perfectly clear to him that he's in a cheap suit that. He is wholly reliant. His, his life is wholly reliant upon the Empire to maintain. He has no base of power. The Jedi are gone, and he and the Empire Emperor has taken over the Empire completely. And so it's basically ride ride my back seat or get the fuck off the highway kind of deal. And you know, I, I liked that. I know you always Spencer sometimes will shit on the supplemental materials as sort of making up for the flaws in the movie, but I did like that fill in the, the crack because. It never made sense to me that he would just wake up from the table, he'd hear Padme died, and then he'd go, okay, what's next, Emperor? Like, his whole fucking point was to say Padme. The Emperor didn't do that. The Emperor lied to him. He should be angry about it, and then the supplemental materials does do verify that that, that conversation occurred. I'm sorry, Jimmy, go ahead. I got a couple points in response oh, uh, to that. I, I, I'm, we can readdress it like when we get to that for talking about things in chronological through the movie. I don't hate that line. And it being poorly delivered, um, let's say for the moment that it is poorly delivered, that actually still works for me. Because the thing is, everything he says in Darth Vader sounds weird. It it sounds off in a way that I can't really describe. And the idea of this, the first time that he's using these voice modulator things, it's and it literally is the kid we just saw, except now filtered and stuff. 
his cadence is going to be weird. His book, I, I totally bought the delivery of the words because any amount that is off, I really do chalk up to. He's using a voice modulator for the first time in his life. It's going to sound weird. I, I accept that. I do love, though, the one translation why it got memed, where some language that got translated into, it wasn't the word no, it was the word just do not want. So <laughs> I, I did love that system, do not want. But, but I also buy the actual line itself, because he has given up everything and then doesn't have this, and he has no words, and he's just screaming. And it could have been ah or something, but no. I like ah. Well, well, no, I, I no that makes a, feels oh, a little gosh. bit more yeah. just primal, primal, you know, terror, fear, uh, pain. I'd be more down with that. The no is just so poorly delivered. But here, here's a more foundational. Ah, versus no. This is this. It, I, sometimes night, just night, night, I, I completely accept the no because it is just the primal scream, and the way it sounds weird. It's yeah, it sounds unnatural having just the no, but it, that's not what it would sound like. If he wasn't in the modulator. It would sound like just different the voice modulator is figuring out that he was saying no and he said a no word here's a more foundational issue i think it was a poor decision to ground his fall in what is the worst aspect of the prequels his love his love relationship with padme i think that 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 caused other than the fact that it leads to i think the single best scene in this movie in terms of a conversation between anakin and palpatine agreed uh i think it is since I have so little care in the relationship at all and never found it believable, the fact that that's what drives him to just turn on a fucking dime to murdering children never worked for me and, caught, and it really takes Definitely. me out of the back half of the film. Definitely not turning on a dime. He murdered the Tuskins. He's done all kinds of things in the Clone Wars that indicated that he was yeah. turning to the dark side. Well, and they're they're not turning on, well, turning no. on a dime was a poor choice of words. But I think I, I, I think I agree with your general point, which is that I would have liked – the his loss of faith in the Jedi Council and his loss of faith in the Jedi way and seeing some of the hypocrisy that did exist in the Jedi as being a primary reason for his turn to the dark side as opposed to his attempt to save Padme's life. I agree with your your point. And he certainly didn't turn on a dime, though. Go ahead, I actually – I reject both of those. Here, here's my take is oh, that's yeah. not oh. – yeah, that's not the thing. His love for Padme is what led him to be able to be turned. It was a driving force that's always on his mind. But what actually was the turning on the dime? The turning on the dime was, no, Samuel L. Jackson, you should not be an executioner right now. You should follow the law, and I'm going to stop you from overstepping. Oh, oh, I was just part of murdering the last Je a Jedi. Um, okay, I guess I'm on this side now because I like this guy and trust him. I'm oh, no. Kill one more step, one more step, one more step. It, he tipped at that point. That was him stumbling at the top of the hill. And then he just falls again and again and again and again. Okay. Putting himself at that precipice was because of Padme. But the falling over was, I like law and order. And I don't like murdering my friends. Yeah, it was so perfect, though, that the way they wrote it, that that was Mace Windu that did that, right? Because we've talked about on this podcast feed before that Mace Windu is the one Jedi Master we've seen that really – who's on the Jedi Council, who clearly has chosen the light who rides the line. And one thing that Samuel Jackson did do, and I think he got stage directions to do it, is when he was fighting, show anger in a mm -hmm. way that other Jedi Masters don't do. I like that bit of continuity about how he sees the, the dark side um, and how he fights and the fact that he would be the one that would start pushing for this extrajudicial you know, killing, what? which was wrong. He should not have. He should not have been pushing for that. He should not have done it. I don't think Yoda would have done it, and Anakin was right to push back on it. I, I like that uh, – Damn it, Jamie, yeah. you've turned me. Yeah. I like that. That was, a, that was a very seminal moment, and he had to stop him, 
Yep. Although, although when he stops him, he says, "I need him." Yes. So there was a little bit Again, of that. The in only there, reason too. he climbed the hill was because of Padme, and but, the only reason he stopped him was specifically because he developed this relationship with Palpatine mm-hmm. because Palpatine knew the promising he could save Padme when he probably even gave him the vision in the first place. Look, what would be the would be the seminal event to draw him to the dark side? You're, you're right. If he didn't have the selfish aspect, he might have not you know pulled the trigger of blocking Samuel L. Jackson, but he would have wanted to. Like the him climbing the hill was Padme. Him tripping at the top was law and order, this is bad. And may, maybe, you know, it kind of was all conflated together. But I do love, as you mentioned, he would have known Samuel L. Jackson was this special kind of light, dark thing. That yeah, would have, that. You know, that wasn't a secret. So he would be more inclined yep. to think, oh, no, Master J- Yo- uh, Jackson is wrong. I should stop him because he is dipping too far the other way. He is the least trustworthy of the masters because he does, you know, stray too far to the line sometimes. This is my time. I need to step in and stop him. Oh, no, I didn't mean for him to die. Oops. Um, yeah. yeah. Can we uh, – are you all cool if I start the plot? Yeah. Okay, cool. So we start above Coruscant, and Obi-Wan, who hates flying, and makes it perfectly clear in the scene multiple times that he hates flying in a sort of mm, – I'm going to say ham-handed way um, – mm-hmm is flying with Anakin Skywalker. They're going to rescue uh, Palpatine, who has been kidnapped by Dooku. Um, the, Kid, the, kidnapped, yeah. the kidnapping of, of Palpatine and, by Dooku and General Grievous. Um, actually, I think he's, he's kidnapped by Grievous, right? But Dooku happens to it, be there. But that, that whole backstory is told in supplemental material. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, Spencer's right. It, it, Palpatine set the whole thing up. And um, they land on the ship and they they run in they being anakin and obi-wan a fight ensues with dooku dooku's able to really incapacitate obi-wan and then we have anakin beating dooku which is a great parallel to the scene in episode two where it was very clear that dooku could overpower anakin i don't like the constant trying to quantify the levels of like he's like my powers have doubled since the, I didn't like that line particularly that I my, my powers have doubled since the last time I've seen you Dooku they're at eighteen thousand now yeah mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't really like that but it is clear that he's gotten Over much stronger 18, he beats Dooku he has Dooku down on his knees and we have the wonderful scene in my opinion of Palpatine uh, saying as as Anakin has two blades at the neck of Dooku with Palpatine urging him do it. Do it, and he does it, and then he immediately says, "I shouldn't have done that." On the way out of the ship, very interesting sequence here. You know, this is always kind of like we talk about Palpatine being able to sort of change and adapt his plan as things sort of go off the rails. He, I feel like he shot a shot here because as they're leaving, he tells Anakin, "Just leave, just leave Obi Wan. Like basically, just let him die." And Anakin's like, "Nah, I'm not. This is the first ten minutes of the movie. I'm not on the dark side yet." And he uh, <laughs> stops and he saves Obi-Wan and he says his life, you know, his his fate will mirror ours or something. His fate will be the same as ours or something like that. But it was interesting to me that Palpatine shot his shot with the sort of like, leave your master behind, fuck him, who cares? Just to see what I guess uh, Anakin it, would do. It, and then it, they all get off the ship. It, it's in keeping from what we've seen of Palpatine before, of where he has a plan, but he's willing to, you know, seize an opportunity when it presents. And most yeah. of those opportunities have been with, kill all of Anakin Skywalker's support network that isn't me. And this is in furtherance of that. He saw an opportunity. 
Obi-Wan was down. He probably didn't think that this would work, but why not? Anakin's apparently utterly blind to the fact that I just, you know, got him to murder somebody or that could possibly be a Sith Lord or anything else. Clearly, you won't get any, you won't, you won't put two and two together with me asking him to leave his best friend behind either. Let's try. But can uh, we call, can we call bullshit on the, you just reminded me of something, Spencer. Can we call bullshit on Anakin getting all high and mighty about extra judicial, judicial killing yeah, of a Sith Lord it, when he does it, he does it, five, he does it seven minutes into the movie with Dooku? Like, give me a break. Um, no, because he, one, he's a hypocrite and he's not a, he's a kid and he makes, <laughs> but two, what did he do right after? He was like, oh no, this was a mistake. I'm going to remember. Uh, okay. Last, last movie I learned. Don't kill all the women and children in a tribe. This time I learned, don't extrajudiciously kill somebody who's on their knee. But his best, his best friend buddy that he's going to be used to protect the law later is the one who tells him to do it and then justifies it after he does it. Yep. So, I, so either he learns not to or he, you know, whatever. It's different. He's not going to think about that too hard. Uh, two, two, two things, by the way, before we move on out of this scene. One, yeah. one thing I'm consistently amused by is that the Trade Federation loves to make their murder droids cute. I, 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 I know <laughs> I know that's George Lucas looking to sell toys, but I love when they're flying on the spaceships. That. I hate that cynicism. I hate that. It, it is. Uh, but I love when they're, when they're flying in and uh, one of the missiles blows up in front of them. The most adorable little droids with their own little parachutes then land at Obi-Wan's ship and kind of scuttle about killing droids and slicing through things. It, it's a, it's a, it, I think it's a very cute way to die in terms of how the Trade Federation plans out your murder. Um, that, that legitimately continues to amuse me. One thing I will regret... I don't know how they could necessarily – they would have completely rewritten the film, but I do hate that the most interesting character from Attack of the Clones and probably the best actor in the series dies seven minutes into the film in the form of Count Dooku Christopher Lee just exiting stage left right here and right now. So two two things I want to say. One is the spaceships. I love that the spaceships kind of look like proto-TIE fighters. Love that. I had not noticed that until the rewatch, that Anakin's ship, it kind of looks a little bit sort of – Sort of like a pre-TIE fighter kind of thing. Um, and with him dying, so you all have seen Lord of the Rings, right? And know that the exact same actor has a big deal there. And in that one, he was supposed to have his character die at the beginning of the third movie in the first minute. They then decided for the theatrical release that that wouldn't play very well in the very beginning of the third movie. So they just cut his death scene entirely and he died off screen and you didn't even see it until you see the extended versions. So maybe, maybe they were going to have him die off screen. He says, no, motherfuckers, not again. <laughs> not he, twice. Which he was pissed about in Lord of the Rings because he was a close friend of Tolkien's and knew that, you know, his character plays a real big role through even the, you know, the, the scenes after scenes of the ending of the third book. So he was yep. pissed about that, too. I'd be curious to see that conversation with Lucas here. Is that, hey, we introduced your character. We get all this, you know, interesting lore behind you. You're this weird kind of gray Jedi that's flirting with the Sith of unclear motivations, whatever else. But we need you to die because it's Anakin's movie. So, all right. Yeah, and and Jamie, one thing is you you were kind of breaking up there. If you, if you start doing it again, I, I may I may cut in. Um, uh, you're just kind of going in and out there with your your connection. But I think I think we got you to a stable place now. Um, okay. Okay. I I I would have liked a lot more Dooku. I love I love the Clone Wars that we get a lot more Dooku. Um, I would have liked a lot more Christopher Lee. That's just yeah, that's just my opinion. Um, okay. Then we move on to we get back to Coruscant. Palpatine is is back. He's saved. There's this weird sort of scene with Obi-Wan and 
Anakin where Obi-Wan's like, no, you go ahead. You take the credit. I don't want it. And it was weird for me because I I know they were going for let's show a moment of these two just sort of, you know, hamming it up and having an inside joke. But it would seem to me that like what we already know of Anakin's flaws, that his teacher probably wouldn't want to continue to push him into situations where he is exalted or he's told – He's given credit or he's, you know, championed or given prizes for what he does. I would think with the ego that we've already seen from Anakin, it would be the role of his teacher to to scale that back. And as much as Obi-Wan might hate politics, maybe Obi-Wan should jump in and do this part and let Anakin, like, fucking not receive all the credit because that clearly goes to his head. And that seems to be something that, like, when Yoda's having moments with Anakin, he's constantly trying to pull that ego back a little bit. He's talking. He he does that. He also talk, Yoda also talks about his attachments. It is interesting that the portrayal of Yoda to me, because we see that once Qui Gon dies, Yoda becomes sort of the de facto master for Obi Wan, and he's also sort of like a consigliere, sort of grandfather counselor to Anakin. And it makes you wonder how many of these Jedi he's doing this with. Where, yeah, you have a master, it's Obi Wan, but he still goes and gets lessons from Yoda all the time. Uh, maybe that's the role of the, the Grandmaster. I don't know. But I, I just found that, that they, they did commit some screen time to showing you that dynamic with the Yoda character. Um, uh, uh, so a lot there. What do you think, Spencer? Well, are, are, are we are we skipping the whole exit plot of them, you know, going through the spaceship and the spaceship crashing and meeting Grievous but, for the first time? Or, I, sorry. I had one quick thing uh, with that, them, them escaping, and it was a wonderful example of Palpatine having patience and taking calculated risks because he could have died there. He really could have in the crash landing and everything. Right. But he still didn't use his Jedi powers to help protect himself because he knew that that would ruin all his other plans. If that came out that he was a Sith now. So he was willing to take the calculated risk of I probably won't die in this crash. But if I use my powers, then I definitely am ruined. And he, I always I, always always thought of it as. Palpatine, like Yoda, is able to sense when he's in real danger or not in real danger. And mm-hmm. if if he were if that line was starting to get crossed, he probably would have used his power. But they they among the the masters, they have this sort of like almost like future predicting thing in the short term to be able to mm-hmm. sense like if, am I in real danger or not. And I always just thought that's maybe the line for him. What do you think, Spencer? Uh, well, two things. I, I would agree. He, I think he's he's, he's purposely. Tr- He's clearly not very comfortable with how things are playing out, but he's trying to, you know, do his best to do the most palpitating thing possible and hide his actual nature, even even at the edge of death. I will say that that man's got rotator cuffs and joints of a champ, given how much they just fling him about when they're in that elevator shaft, of where the, there are some high-speed maneuvers that they do of where he's holding on by one arm, of where, good God, should he have a dislocated shoulder. He might have. Are you saying that his Sithy senses weren't tingling yet? I, I, I think they were tingling up a storm, but he was actively suppressing it. I, he, uh, might, he, I mean, he might have had some injuries. I mean, you know, we, we, we you know. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, him knowing that he wasn't dying yet, that he can tell. Like, oh, but, sure, I, sure. but I was well, trying I mean, to Yoda, Yoda's like, able to do it, too, right? Like, I mean, right before, you know, he, sent, he senses Order 66 before. I mean, he, he's able to just turn around and start killing people who haven't even really lifted a finger to him yet because he senses he's actually in real danger. So I think – I don't know. It seems to me that Masters get to a particular level there. So go ahead, Spencer. Sorry. We, we meet him here for the first time, so I'll just say it. I don't like General Grievous, and I don't think you should I – think, I, I think his role unfortunately cut into Count Dooku, who would have been a more interesting character to occupy that role. I think he's there to look cool. 
and I don't think he serves any other purpose. And even when I first saw it, he always just struck me as a weird last second addition to the plot and story. It, you know what? I think the thing that bugs me is that, like, this is not explained. He's this, this weird is coughing sound, droid. This is going to sound really mean, Spencer, and I'm sorry, but you know that I love you. It, it just seems, like, really presumptuous to know – not only do you know if something's good or bad in the movie, you know their you know their intent and why they put it in. You know their mm-hmm. motivation, and mm-hmm. then you're able to dismiss it. Like, do you really think that you know that George Lucas put General Grievous in simply because he looks cool? Do you really think that? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a bit of a speech right now about what the value of opinion is and what we're actually doing right now. Because unless we're just reading down the <laughs> script, at a certain point we do need to add our own commentary on the subject of how we interpret events and what they mean, which I'm no. doing. No, it's motivation though. That's the part. Sure, no, I, I'm, I'm interpreting that too. I could yeah. be wrong, but it's where I'm coming from. Okay, all right. Well, then that I guess that's fair. I mean, I guess that it's when because I I agree with you on the General Grievous character. It's just the jump. <laughs> it's the jump to. I, but I know why they put it in, and I, I, and I don't like if, that. If you'd like me to say I suspect before every one of those lines, fine. Happy no, no, to no, do no. It. no, 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 no. I, I take your, 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 you know what? I, I shouldn't even go down the rabbit hole. You're right. It, you're, you're just, you're just sort of guessing as to what their motivation is. You're not necessarily saying I absolutely understand what their motivation is. Okay, recanted. Apologize. Uh, unlike um, you, I don't go to George Lucas's ranch every Tuesday and talk to him about his future plans and prior motivations. So all I can do is suspect as one of the proles in the gallery who doesn't know. Who well, it just came on the, the subject. It came on the back of that the droids were only in there because they're toys, and now that General Gr- like it just seemed a lot of like motivation, like like you understood the motivation. But you, you know what? I recant. I apologize. In a world where he has explicitly admitted that was the case for the Ewoks, I have justification in assuming that whenever there is something cute in Star Wars. Yeah, fuck the Ewoks. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on General Grievous. I, here's, the, here's the only thing I like about General Grievous, is that it shows us in black and white that Vader had – Vader was given inferior technology because he – the Empire absolutely had the ability to give him General Grievous' technology. He could have gotten the General Grievous body, which would have been infinitely better – then the, he has the fucking body where he can't even lift the arms up. He has, he's done this respirator thing. It, it's a shit show. And so I like that, that dichotomy. I, I like that a lot. But as far, I, I, I 100% agree with you that I would have wholesale would have liked dumping the Grievous character and giving it all to Dooku. I would have liked yeah. that a lot better. Jamie, what'd you think? No, just that I'm behind the curve on actually putting two and two together because we've talked about this before. Um, I'm actually just now really imagining and picturing Anakin being put in Grievous's body where he could do the uh, Emperor and Yoda spin attack where he had four arms. It had been I, hell. I, hell. A little it had been fucking a little, hell on a little planet planet right there. A, a, a proper Sith weed whacker going at you. He'd have been he'd have been fire with that suit, but the you know the the emperor wanted him to be in a constant source of pain to to continue his training, and he also wanted to be subservient. Wanted him to be subservient to him. So I like I like that. But with you, Spencer, let's dump Grievous and let's give it all to Dooku. And also with the plot, I'm just trying to to skip through it. If I miss a part, just jump sure. in and tell me. I, I I'm not I'm not going to do it super well. Um, I, I, I will say on what you said though. Um, there is a lot of very much buddy commentary or buddy. Uh, talking between uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan over the course of the film, which uh-huh. I think it's almost purposefully awkward of where both these guys can act with each other and they generally work pretty well off each other. For a lot of these scenes, like the one you're talking about, 
it feels weirdly stilted, which may be intentional to show that there's a, a certain divide growing in their relationship or may just be acting issues or direction issues with respect to it. I'm not sure. It does make some of their scenes a little bit less appealing than I think they should. Though, again, whether that's an intentional choice or not, I can't say. It works for me so well but it, because I think that it seems to me that Obi-Wan slash Ewan McGregor is really pushing a lot of the ham it up, like let's be bros sort of stuff. He's overcompensating? And, and hey, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Hayden Christensen – is I'm not a normal master. I'm a cool master. Is constant, <laughs> yeah. Is constantly awkward and constantly saying the wrong thing, and like, like it's like when you're like fucking around with a friend and you're like, hey, you know, like, um, you know, that that's a uh, what would be a good example? I don't know. Like, that's a pretty good hamburger that we're eating here, right? And he goes, yeah, it's the fucking best fucking thing I've ever had. You know, like a friend that like can't participate in the like back and forth without getting kind of over the top and weird and awkward and that's what Anakin seems like to me so the fact that it's stilted conversation to me really works because Anakin Anakin, as he's presented to me doesn't seem like a guy who can just kind of throw it up. Jamie? uh, I'm in this anecdote and I don't like it please unsubscribe (laughs) (laughs) it's it's hitting it's too real Um, Spencer any any more about the um any more about the the reasons that that George Lucas created this scene and why? He I think it's I think it's it I was actually giving George Lucas credit there. <laughs> I was saying that his bad acting that he was giving having uh, had to do was intentional. I was giving him the bit of the uh, doubt, but no, I've lost it. I, it's just shit, and that's all it is now. There we go. I've got you. I've got you to the edge. No, it's just fuck it. I hate it. Um, and real, we real quick, oh, yeah. I was just before, before we move on. Um, it really irritated me that they had another people try to kill Padme thing like in the beginning. It it bugged me so much that I have to like consciously remember which, which assassination plot was in which movie. I have to think about it to remember. It just irritated me. It seemed sloppy. It seemed lazy. You know, it's okay that they mirror each other. You know, I I don't mind that episode seven mirrors four. I I like it, but oh gosh, it was, it was kind of painful that part for me. And I don't really know why. Did you feel the same way or am I off? I, I I think that mirrors seven mirrors for is a very kind way to put that. It's the exact same fucking movie, but um, <laughs> you're tangenting. You're tangenting. That, that wasn't. The point yeah, you're that. right. You're right. Yeah, that wasn't the point. Um, I, I skipped over the Padme assassination for for a reason. I think that if the, these movies were going to be created now, George Lucas would do a, a TV show, and that he would be able to to. He'd have a a lot more time. I think he was trying to jam a lot of stuff that was happening into two and a half hours, and he wanted to to continue to show that the threat on Padme's life was was real and still there. If this was a television show and you 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 had 10 hours to tell the story, you could have committed 15 minutes to this and nobody would have blinked an eye. But I agree. When you have a two and a half hour movie and you've already done this scene in episode two, it's not necessarily necessary here. Spencer? I, Jamie, 100% there with you. This was the first of the moments where I got up and got a drink. I'm just like, oh shit, they're giving me this. Okay, let's get let's get a little bit right now. Oh, oh, you've been drinking. That's why we're getting this, Spencer. Oh, That's what's going on here. It, it's it's been a long afternoon getting through this moment. <laughs> uh, okay, we did get the reuniting of Anakin and Padme, and the no, but I love you more. No, but I love you more. And but the big the big part of this is that she tells him that she's pregnant, mm-hmm. and. I have never understood – maybe you guys can help me with this. You probably won't, though. You'll probably just say, like, it sucks. But I've never understood 
why he wasn't a little bit more panicked that she was pregnant. Like, I understand that when, like, you know, you, you, you pregnant a woman and she says she's pregnant, you, you want to be supportive. And he's trying to be supportive. But we should see a little bit more panic because his entire life is good. Like, let's say the fucking war isn't happening. So let's throw the war out. It's peacetime. His whole life's going to unravel because she's having this kid. Like, Except it's a big fucking problem, and he seems to be just like, yeah, okay, well, we're going to have a baby. Like, we're normal people. You're not well, normal. You're a Jedi. Well, here's here, so here's my guess. And I'm going to follow, since apparently uh, Lee wants this, I'm going to follow clue rules. I'm not going to say I accuse. I suspect. I suspect <laughs> that um, – Well, you guys are going to beat me up for that little podcast. That's fair. That was a douche point. I suspect that in that moment, you know, he is, you know, a, what, 20-year-old, so he might not be thinking all the way through. It's in the moment. It, it's been a three-year th- gap between the films for playing games. All right. Well, that, then what, he's, he's three? I don't know. Uh, look, math's hard. But it's like, um, was it you're, – you're talking about in real time, right? No, no. It's, well, I, I checked Wikipedia. It, it, was, it was written to be a three-year gap between episode two and episode three in story. And okay. they really did real three years? Shout yes. out to George Lucas. So – my thoughts of what he was thinking in that moment, logical or not, was we've been keeping this a secret so far, and we've been able to have a relationship. We will probably continue to do that. You have enough support. You don't need me sending checks to you to help support the kid. So you'll have a kid. It's progressive society. You can do your own thing, and I will have a son that will be nice. And, you know, if I have to be part-time dad, I will. If I get the map and I can tell people about us, I will. This doesn't really change any of that. It'll be more of the same. So that in the thought in the moment, I think he was thinking that it wouldn't upend his entire life. It would just make his time with his secret family better. I suspect that there are three <laughs> possibilities. Uh, possibly the one, Jimmy. I think I think you got a good point there. That uh, this guy, he's all a twenty. He's, his sen- his sense of what the future is it can occur is based purely on limited experience, and they've kept it secret so far. So. How much of an addition is this? We have money. We've got resources. I'm the golden boy. What what could really go wrong? Going off the golden boy thing, this guy is entitled for days. He's been allowed to violate every existing rule in yes. place with yes. impunity. I think he I – mean, the next scene we're going to get, he want, he gets really pissed off. They don't immediately declare him a Jedi Master and appoint him to the council. Well, they appoint him to the council, but don't give him the title of Jedi Master, and he's – all a pissed at age 20. What a shithead. What a shithead. Yeah. Hey, uh, does anybody, does anyone think that that baby could have, well, we know it's twins, right? That's another thing, is that, like, with the technology this this universe has, they can't figure out that this is twins at this point? Like, she wanted to go the natural way. A little surprising. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the in-world explanation. Does anyone think these babies could be born and Yoda wouldn't know about it? Does anybody think that? No. That, that, Andy, that Yoda wouldn't know that Anakin's the father of those kids. Uh, I, I, they don't say it, but I would find it really weird that Yoda doesn't totally know about the relationship and is just turning a blind eye to it. He knows about the relationship because he he says, like, when he, in his conversation with Anakin, he's like, very, he keeps saying, but are you worried about loss? Is it because yeah. of somebody you love? It, like, he's, he's asking he's the question. He's trying to get him yeah. to admit it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and third possibility, because I'm me, I've got to say, also, I will agree that Hayden Christensen does better this film. He's still pretty wooden, so th- that may bleed into this to a certain degree, too. I would – I could do – see, you missed you missed the last 
recap podcast on House of the Dragon, Spencer, and you wetted my you wetted my palate for the single podcast. Now I just want to pop on here and record an hour of me defending Hayden Christensen in these films <laughs> because I feel so strongly that he did a really good job in episode two and three. Like I, I'm not kidding, like a good job because he is portraying a completely like stilted person, a person who is conflicted in six different ways, who's awkward, who never says the right thing. Look at the words on the page they give him. He's never comfortable. So since age eight, he shouldn't feel comfortable. I love the job that in Christians does, but I know that I'm in the minority there, but uh, so look back to the recap. Palpatine appoints Anakin, the Jedi council, Um, Jedi council refuses to give him the rank of master. How dare they? President, magician. And then we have that great moment. You know, I always love Obi-Wan as a teacher because, like, a big thing of my, like, personal life is I, like, I think that, like, when I am in moments of crisis, the thing that helps me the most is gratitude of being happy for the things that I do have because I can always usually get out of anxiety, depression, whatever, through gratitude. And that's what Obi-Wan's trying to give Anakin in that moment when they're leaving the Jedi Council after that discussion. He's like, look, hey – Dummy, you are on the council at the youngest age anybody's ever been. Let's be happy with what you have as opposed to the thing that you don't have. Go ahead, Spencer. Fully agree. It's a good moment between them. I wish we'd gotten more of those, and I've heard before we get a lot more of those in Clone Wars in terms of that aspect of their relationship. It's just kind of – it's brushed on and more referenced than directly depicted here. But that was a good thing. Two things just that that we just skipped over real quick to mention. One – we do get the first of, uh, of Anakin's visions of Padme maybe yes. sort of possibly dying, uh-huh. which going to be important later. Personal theory is that this is totally Palpatine that's putting these thoughts in his head. I think so. Uh, Probably. It's use, useful for later. Uh, another thing we get, which is going to be useful, is because it factors into my favorite aspect of Palpatine's character. He makes a phone call to the Separatists and says, yeah, Doku totally died, but I've got a new apprentice in mind which is a whole build-up here, the entire film of him playing all sides to eventually all murder each other, so he's the only one left standing. So it's a good data point to, to start with early, given that it, it ultimately works out perfectly for him in terms of wiping everybody off the board in one fell swoop. Absolutely. I, I, I have always subscribed to the theory that the Emperor was putting the visions of, An- of Padme dying into Anakin's head. That's how he was able to speak to him in the conversation with him. And I also believe that he killed Padme. I, I think that I don't think that she died of sadness. I think the emperor wanted her gone because she was the only if she had lived, he would not have absolute control over Darth Vader. And he had to get rid of her. That was my, re- that's my theory. I request elaboration on this killing people from the other side of the planet that he has and only uses once. We don't know he only uses it once. And then also, I mean, you know, in Is the in the sequel movies that you love so much, they can apparently send artifacts and objects across the galaxy yeah, 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 to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's so bad. Sure. I'll tell you Look, my – go I'm ahead. Not, I'm, not bringing up, I'm not bringing up all, all your flaws here. We don't have to go outside of the circle. Like, come on. We're, we're ready. Below the belt. Below the belt. I'm just saying that, like, if you're, if you're looking at the, the rules established in New Canon, I don't think that um, her – um, him him being able to somehow can can get, get, you know shoot negative energy or something to her whatever kill her is, is somehow out of bounds considering some of the things we saw in the single. You you are positing that the emperor can kill people from afar that he can't see or know where they are even because they're in secret locations or whatever just because he wants to. 
and only does it once in the entire prequels and main and original trilogy. That's your theory. Am I correct? He has that power the whole time and only uses it once. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, that's you can yeah. you can I mean, you can say it in the most absurd way you want. But yeah, anybody. Yeah, I mean, you can frame it. I mean, you can say it like to be as absurd as you want. But, yeah, that is that is the thing that I think happened because it makes more sense than her dying of sadness. Why did he not? Okay, well, first of all, people actually do on very rare occasion, not to defend it because I think it's stupid, but dying of heartbreak is actually a thing, like, in medical records. It's happened recently in pop, in not pop culture, in, like, the news. It happened to a person in America in the last year where they actually died of a broken heart. It can happen. Yeah, okay. But two, why wouldn't he have done that in episode two or one? When, well, not in two when he tried to kill her. Well, or she, in three, she's, in a, kill her. she's in a weakened physical state. She's in a weakened physical state, so maybe that, that helps him be able to do it. I mean, you know, I don't... I don't fucking know, but it makes more sense than dying of a broken heart to me. I don't know. I mean, the Emperor has a massive number of powers, and we've seen the ability to, you know, for him, if he could put things in somebody's head, fucking, you know, planets away, it wouldn't surprise me if he can, you know, I don't know, deplete her white blood cell count as she's dealing with, you know, fucking childbirth or whatever. That, that That's not the most insane thing in the world to me. Uh, Spencer, what do you think on this? Where, where are you at, at this divide? Well, two, two things, because then I want to go on to my actual favorite scene in the movie. Um, but with respect to whether the emperor killed Padme, it's possible, but I don't need it because a it's childbirth. Women do sadly die on, die on childbirth, so you don't necessarily need an extra explanation. And also, she went into labor immediately after Anakin tried to kill her, and you know choked her and whatever else, which could also lead to other problems. I don't necessarily need it, but in terms of the, I'd be okay raising, with. I'd be okay with the explanation that like her oxygen levels were low because he just tried to kill her and that, that did it too. I'd be okay with that. I I'm not okay with, I died of a broken heart. That, that seems nor, nor am I, but in terms of the emperor's powers and then possibly giving visions or doing a lot of other things, we have it pretty much implied bordering on explicitly stated that he's in some way suppressing the complete ability of the Jedi council to see the future and predict events going forward, or even a yes. complete realm Fuck of knowledge. Strong. So, <laughs> Once we once we've established that he can warp reality to the point that he can influence just how the force flows around the entirety of the Jedi Council, we're massively expanding the list of potential things the guy can do. So I mean, I'm willing to believe a lot, particularly given the idea that he's selectively given visions to Anakin to manipulate. He can put a mask on Yoda. Like I mean, I, I don't know what his I don't know what his power is, but I, I'll tell you my favorite. Maybe we're getting to the same point, Spencer. I'll tell you my favorite point. Plot point thing that I see, just thing in the movie, just thing that makes me just that I get the warm and fuzzies is the fact that Kashyyyk is going to be invaded by the separatist and Yoda goes good relations with the Wookiees I have. I fucking love it. I love that Yoda goes personally. I love that when he gets there, he's like, you know, old friend, welcome back by the by the Wookiees. I want the backstory. Of why I, I I just love that Yoda gets along with the Wookiees and he goes there personally. That's tell awesome. me that's been a comic book. Has that been a comic book of how Yoda became best friends with the with the, with the Wookiee leadership just to the point that he can just wave a hand and everyone just goes, "Yep, he's the Wookiee expert. No one else needs to go to Kashyyyk. This guy's got it covered." I I I, I maybe I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, but it, it, I think it's so cool because like obviously he doesn't do a lot of this. You know, like Yoda doesn't go do like I'm going to go do it personally. He does a little bit more of it in Clone Wars, but like it's pretty common for him to delegate this shit. And he's like, nope, I'm going for I'm going on my own. And then what we know of the of the Wookiee culture is that that's actually really important. 
Uh, but he go personally. As we saw in this film, Wookiees give the absolute best piggyback rides. And so seeing Yoda just ride a Wookiee around, around through battle, I, I, I was all here for that. Um, then we eventually, I, I might be missing something, but the next thing on my notes is is Anakin talking to Palpatine. about My favorite, my favorite scene of the movie. Yeah, why don't you lead us on that one then? Uh, this is occurring at what I think is some form of opera house, which looks like a hell of a wonderful place to get high because it's just this just <laughs> weird colored ball. It's just floating in the room that they just stare at throughout the entire like conversation. Looks like a Grateful Dead concert. I, sure. This is the Star Wars equivalent of a Grateful Dead concert they're seeing now. Head cannon, yeah. It's, Cirque du Soleil. it's, it's literally just Cirque du Soleil in space. Yes, without, without, without all the weird clown faffery that happens midway through every Cirque du Soleil show. That's, that's actually off-screen. Off that happens Thank in the next... God, but. George Lucas showed some degree of conservation and kept that out of his film. Uh, they're here at this opera house. Anakin's been clearly invited. Not really clear, clear that he understands why, just that Palpatine personally invited him. and kind of suggests that they've had these like private chats previously. Palpatine orders everybody else out of the room, and just him and Anakin are sitting there. And this is the integral point of Palpatine's plan. He knows that Anakin's had a vision, but he wants Anakin to kind of reveal it to him. And he offers a means through just a weird story that he knows that the Jedi have kept through him about Darth Plagueis the Wise. Uh, how he knows this knowledge or anything about Darth Sith lores and their personal motivations and what happened to them when the Sith have been supposedly gone for thousands of years. Anakin asks no questions whatsoever about that. But the purpose of the story is, I knew this, I, well, I, I know this story about this guy, this Darth Lord that, you know, studied the intricacies of the Force and discovered a means of being able to keep people alive or even bring them back from the dead or command over life and death through his full understanding of the Force, which the Jedi have kept from you, which is a crime. Only by studying these things could he ever understand these kind of powers. He was eventually betrayed by his you know, apprentice and lost the irony of that, given his command over life and death, which I love, the little, the little hints there that Palpatine's talking about himself and everything else with respect to the conversation. And the entire point of it is to place the seed in Anakin's mind of, oh, you had this vision of Padme dying? Well, the Jedi cannot help you there a whit. Only the Sith knowledge can. And Sith knowledge that I somehow possess. And so given this is your ultimate fear, given this is the end of everything that matters to you, clearly you must latch your ship to mine to be able to hoard off this evil future. It's a very well-acted scene, because it's basically just Ian McDermott just delivering a monologue with Hayden Christensen just effectively responding. But it's very effectively done. It goes into some fascinating lore into the background of the Sith that we otherwise purposefully don't get in these films. And it's, you know, as much as it's this weird Grateful Dead slash Cirque du Soleil visuals going on in the background, it works. It fits for this kind of mysteriousness that he's unlocking. This entirely foreign world that Anakin has no idea even exists, but finds inherently tempting, both just you know, knowledge and power and everything else from his own ego, but also to ward off this future that he's certain is now coming. Very effective scene, very effectively done. Quality storytelling through this means. Jamie, what did you think of the scene? Uh, he probably liked it. Um, what did you think, Larry? Uh, yeah, he probably liked it. I'll tell you what I uh, I thought. I thought this was probably the best acted scene of the of the whole thing. I love Pro the probably the prequels the, period. I love pulling in the lore of Darth Plagueis. That was absolutely awesome um, because up until now. Um, Darth Plagueis had been like a Legends canon. There was a book called Plagueis, mm -hmm. and I, you, you know, even before Disney scrapped the Legends canon, there was always this sort of confusion on how much of that Le Legends canon Lucas was going to incorporate in the new films. 
because there was a lot of stuff there he could have, and he did. He incorporated Plagueis. I thought that was so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I, to your point, he does not ask, how the fuck do you know about the Sith, et cetera, et cetera? And that, to me, seems consistent, because I don't think he wants to know the answer. He's being willful. He, he knows that if he asks that question, it, like things get sideways. And the cool part is that I think he might have got to the point where he was willing to open that can of worms had Palpatine not couched it in. I'm only telling you this to save you – know, to, to basically alleviate your greatest fear in life, which is that right. she's going to die. Don't ponder the Sith implications. Don't. I'm not asking anything of you. I'm being your friend, your only friend. Nobody else – you can't trust anybody else. They've kept this knowledge from you to avoid this horrible future. Only I have come to you right now to tell you how to protect yourself and those that you love so you can trust me. And I'm not asking anything in return. I agree. But if he just straight up said I'm a Sith Lord, it would have been a fascinating scene to see Anakin try to unpack that and decide between the warring personal desires and duty. I do think he would have asked at that point, but it, I think now he's like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to kind of – I'm, I'm going to turn gonna a blind eye. <laughs> exactly. Jamie, what did you think of this scene? You back with us? So I am. Sorry. Um, no worries. Go ahead. So – You've said most of the important parts about, like, his story and everything. Um, it's another example of where somebody's a character's name just tells you everything about them. Darth Plague. Uh, it, it's a big, big irksome of mine that every bad guy in the well, I am bad guy, as loud as it possibly can. But having it here at the Cirque du Soleil, I actually really loved it. It was almost – it felt like a mafia scene of hmm. – we are sophisticated people who are part of society, and we either enjoy this or we have to be here for the show. But we're going to get some business done here at the same time. So I, I really did love that. Now, now that you say that, I would have loved if this had actually taken place at the Bada Bing with just strippers in the background. I think that really would have sold things. <laughs> <laughs> Proper mafia experience. That's Andor. That's that's ah, more, that's that's Andor. more okay. of what the the vibe they're going for at Andor. Andor, uh, there's like there's like a sex scene in Andor. Like Andor is different. Um, We'll talk Look, about, Andor on about Andor. We need a different. We need a different podcast. Different, different, that. different podcast. We're gonna we're gonna do a we're gonna do an Andor check in here soon. We're not gonna do an episode by episode review of Andor, but we're gonna do like mid season check in at some point. Um, okay, what is next? Right, so we we have that conversation with uh, with the guys uh, with uh, Anakin with- and Padme, and then we get Anakin going to after Anakin deduces that Palpatine is the Sith Lord, and he uh, he reports it to Mace Windu. Anything between there we want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I'm to, I'm, these are the beats I care about. Yeah, Anakin goes. Anakin goes to Mace Windu, which I liked. I liked that Anakin's though he did not confront Palpatine in the moment, which is probably wise if you suspect that he's the Dark Lord of the Sith. He immediately went to his boss and said, "Okay, I can put two and two together here. Please, let's at least investigate this." Shows he's still conflicted on the subject of loyalties. That's one thing. Yoda goes to Kashyyyk. We love that. We talked about love that. It. Awesome. And Obi Wan is. Is basically sent as a personal targeted assassin to go to one day. Yeah, and he, he – he, what I love is it, there is some consistency in the plot, right, because Obi-Wan gets there and he, he gets a live animal to be his sort of ship as opposed to a ship because he doesn't like ships, uh, a, which is kind of kind of interesting. It, it's a weird lizard cat thing that I actually love. You know, like, I, please, I actually, make a, make a toy of that, George Lucas. I would approve. So uh, my, my, we're talking about that actually in that scene about an example of something that is cool in theory but doesn't work, where it doesn't really make sense. It looks kind of cool. And it mm-hmm. would make a good toy, and it's kind of a neat idea, but it's totally impractical. There's no reason in the character. Okay, I like how you said he hates just ships in general. He'd rather ride a horse than a motorcycle, basically. Yes. But exactly. a cat. Well put. Yeah, but okay, yeah, he, he'd rather ride a horse than a motorcycle is kind of what it's like. But it's not nearly as effective 
in theory, ahead of time, if you're picking it, uh, it, it just is kind of a distraction. It's mediocre CG in a bright place with a – it's kind of fun. It, it's like General Grievous. It's kind of fun, but it's wasted and distracting. Well, Which I, would, I mean, that's kind of what I say about General Grievous. I disagree. I, disagree. I mean, he's got to get around on this thing, and it's basically one big, like, cannon, you know, um, and he can't I – mean, Motorcycles that can go up walls in Star Wars? I mean, I, mean, I guess he could – I mean – but, but then, I mean, but then, then you'd be saying, well, did he have to choose that? He could have chose something else. I mean, he's got to be able to get around it somehow. They, they, do, they weren't riding mucklucks into episode 2's <laughs> battle scene. They had battle tanks, and they had speeders, and they had all these other things. They weren't riding land octopuses. I'm not sure how that proves any sort of point, because my point was that he he, he picked this thing because he doesn't like he doesn't like ships. He doesn't like – you said it yourself. It's been an option. That's not a logical thing for them to have had. Why did they have it there, man? Oh, I'm sure the locals used it. I mean people who don't have a lot of money. I mean there are locals on this planet. It's not a completely militarized planet. Uh, by the way, uh, this, this the, is sci-fi. This is fantasy. I forgot. I'm sorry. For, the, for those of us that are playing the home game, by the way, it is a uh, – the name of this creature is Boga. That's its individual name. It is apparently a, a Vera Subtle. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, I, I look. You buy one, get one. They're cheaper clearly, than clearly. Jamie didn't like it. I, I kind of thought it was kind of cool, but um, yeah, kind of fun. But it's somewhere it's, in there. He does sorry. jump down. He does jump down and um, decide. I'm going to confront General Grievous one on one. Obi Wan does, and he gives us the iconic "Hello there" line to to General Grievous, which was just all timer. I uh, loved it. Yes, I forgot that he, that's what he says in the original trilogy until yeah. I after watching this. And I knew about this. It was, it was a meme or whatever. I then rewatched the original trilogy and I saw it and it made me so Hello happy. There. Hello yeah. there. And then we get it also in the Obi-Wan series. I, I, I don't know. It's, well, it's, a touch, it's a touchdown. That is something which I, th- I think I touched on with Obi-Wan is just what can, – can I just make a side note of what an amazing job Ewan McGregor did as Obi-Wan. He did his motherfucking homework every day in a way that George Lucas did not – of rewatching the originals and actually figuring out what about them's great. You and McGregor did the homework that everyone should have, and if everybody else had done his level of preparation and dedication to actually the prequel, the original trilogy, instead of just remembering what they think the original trilogy felt like when they were ten, everything would have been better in the entire prequels. Are you insinuating that George Lucas didn't know what made Star Wars great and didn't do any homework before he made the trilogy? The, is that what you just insinuated there? He, he wasn't insinuating. He stated. Yeah, that's that's so, preposterous. So uh, I'm, the I man am, worked extremely am, hard on these. I am sure that he rewatched the original trilogy many times over the course of making the prequels. But he, it seems to me, like in the original trilogy, this is a big tangent. He caught lightning in a bottle and made an amazing thing. But he didn't know how he didn't know what made it great, and he was trying to reproduce it after the fact. And the entire prequels are basically his sophomore album, trying to recreate the magic of his breakaway hit single. And it's not terrible, but it's not great because he doesn't actually understand. Maybe nobody could actually understand what it was that made the original trilogy so good. Nobody's been able to reproduce it quite the way it was, and a lot of people have tried in a lot of different mediums to be the next Star Wars. He tried, and he got, uh, you can argue how close, but he missed the mark because he was doing what he thought Star Wars was instead of what Star Wars actually was. Yeah, I well, guarantee I, he tried, I, he cared. 
But I love you, and I'm glad you're on this podcast. But I can't, I can't. <laughs> just, I'm not willing to say that George Lucas doesn't understand the original trilogy. Uh, I mean, he did create it and write it, and uh, do all of it. You, you uh, so it's sort, on of my insane, sort of an insane thing to say to me, but whatever. That's just my opinion. Um, then we um, go on to the. I think a really interesting scene, which is where Mace Windu comes in to confront Palpatine. Um, I'm going to try to give you all a little bit of a uh, little bit of catnip here and tell you something I don't like about the scene. I don't like that there's Jedi red shirts. I don't like that he goes. I with, hate that. I don't like that he goes with three Jedi, presumably Jedi Knights, if not Jedi Masters, who get murdered by Palpatine in seconds. Like we, what we know about the training of the Jedi, they shouldn't be able like. Just just go alone, or if you go, go with, like, clone troopers if you're going to have them be red shirts. I don't like Jedi red shirts. Jedi should be more formidable than that, in my mind. So, I'm going to be the only one who likes something about the prequels. The world's turned upside down. Um, I am the totally guy, The guy that hates the Jedi Order? Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm totally fine with it, because here's the thing. If you actually think... That if you think he is a Sith Master, you know going in there with some stormtroopers is not going to do the trick. And if he's not, then, you know, oops, sorry we accused you wrong. But you're going in, you have to assume the worst. You have to come in with enough force to take out a actual head of the Sith. And so he does. He brings him and three other Jedi, all of whom are presumably knights or masters or something, you know, not taking Padawans, and... I feel like this was used, maybe it's a cheap gimmick, but ha- there's a storytelling trope of where you introduce a badass character just to have him be killed to show that the enemy is that much more badass than the guy you just were talking about. You know? Yeah, that's, that's, a, re- that's a wrestling angle. You do that in wrestling. Uh, yeah, but right. I, so, I, so the, the fact that he could, with the element of surprise, instantly take out two competent Jedi tells you how good he is. Um, I, I, I'm okay. I, very okay with it. I, I could be okay with it if it doesn't factor into the same problem I've had about making Jedi powers directly dependent on lightsaber ability. That if, if this instead was just a surprise to them that he's just that powerful in the Force, that he can instantly incapacitate everybody with lightning or collapse things upon them or manipulate their minds or something along those lines of power, I'd have no issue with it. The fact that he uses a sword just factors into the same Recurring problem I think the prequels have where they did not know or were not comfortable showing someone being powerful in the Force other than them being good with a lightsaber. And so the I fact they use that to – go ahead, Andrew. Oh, I, I would have liked that better. I, I, I am very okay with this, but I do agree that would have been much cooler. Um, and this was so, – there's a thing that apparently the Jedi and the Sith are both okay with of – kind of fight fire with fire, tit for tat kind of thing. You know, Yoda doesn't pull out his lightsaber until Dooku pulls out his lightsaber. He doesn't pull out his lightsaber until these Jedi come in with lightsabers. The idea of, I'm going to best you at whatever, you choose the weapon and then I'll best you. And only rarely or in extreme circumstances do they say, okay, I'm going to fight your lightsaber with lightning, or I'm going to fight your lightsaber with the Senate or something. Um, I I think that's a movie-making style where people like when you're fighting apples to apples. I would have much li- rather had it if he just said, oh, you've got all those lightsabers? You now think that your friends or enemies fight each other. Boom. Yeah. And like, half of them start fighting the other half. That would have been cooler. I would have preferred that. But I- I'm okay I, with the lightsaber fight. 
I think it would have been more in keeping with what they've shown about his almost reality-bending force abilities that he has, the incredible scope and scale of it. And having him and Yoda later on, rather than do the lightsaber fight where they're jumping around, but just instead turn the Senate into a collective weapon that they're wielding against each other, I think that would have been so much more awesome in terms of depicting how they, as just all-powerful masters, would have thought. But for this particular scene, I don't like the Red Suit Jedis. I also think it's one of the worst lightsaber fights in the prequels generally, probably hindered by the fact that they've got an old man. as the, it, It's the same problem that you always point out with respect to Ian McC- uh, with um, uh, the, ori- the original Obi-Wan Kenobi fight against Vader and, and, and New Hope. Aboard. Yeah, with, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's only so much you can do with respect to, you know, Alec Guinness is a wonderful actor. He's also an old man, and you're not bringing in a stunt double. Same issue with yeah. respect to having Ian McDermott obviously do his own fighting here. It looks kind of lame. Particularly, it almost looks like Mace Windu is holding back when he's the best Jedi Master in terms of lightsaber dealing, whatever else. There's a lot of different ways they could have done the scene to be a lot more effective, and I think do more effective tension with respect to it. One thing that has helped me a little bit, Jamie, Jamie pushed me into this theory on one of the podcasts, is that when you have a really old Jedi Master and they're they're fighting with a lightsaber that they're actually using the force to manipulate their own body, that they're not, sure. it's not moving. I'm not moving my arm. Instead, I'm using the force to just sort of use me as a puppet. Jamie, I think that's how, kind of how you explained it. And when you explained that, it clicked for me a little bit. But overall point, Spencer, I take it. It's certainly not. It's it's the worst lightsaber fight in this movie for sure. Maybe the, the worst one in the prequels. Uh, not very good. Um, and it sucks too because like we, you know, in all of the supplemental materials, we're told again and again and again how great of a lightsaber duelist Mace Windu is, and then it's very, pretty underwhelming when we see it on screen. Um, question, I have two questions for you guys. Um, the first one is just going to be pretty general uh, question about what happens in the movie, and then the second will be uh, I'm going to put you all in Lucasfilm. I'm going to make you the CEO of Lucasfilm and ask you a question. So first yep. one, what you saw on screen, did Mace Windu defeat really – genuinely defeat Palpatine in a lightsaber duel to you, Spencer, first. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. At every stage of this game, he is, and I think I think it's almost over-the-top acting, which even more further proves it, of where him begging pitifully on the ground in the most pitiful little voice he possibly can for Anakin to save him, this is a set-up moment. He, this is Palpatine doing Palpatine things of where he has set every domino to fall in the exact manner he expects, and this is the moment that he wants Anakin to commit. I mean, Jimmy, I disagree with you about what the driving force's motivations are, but I agree this is a precipice kind of moment in terms of at least what side he is on for the rest of the film. And this is a moment that Palpatine has driven him towards, and he needs Anakin to do the act. He could, we see him. He could, he could def, if he could defeat Yoda effortlessly, he can clearly defeat Mace Windu effortlessly. It, 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 this is something that he is very much set up to force Anakin's hand, to force Anakin to commit to his side, in a way that works and plays out for the rest of the film. So this is staged, in my view. Refresh my memory, please, because you've watched it today. At what point in the fight does Anakin walk in? Uh, after uh, Palpatine is on the ground. So uh, or, or pretty much Palpatine. at the moment of where Palpatine is on the ground, Mace Windu standing over him, and then Anakin walks in, and then he puts on his pitiable voice. So your theory was that he knew Anakin would show up? Yes. Okay. He pro- pro- I, mean, if he, I mean, he's the one with the sensing abilities where he suppressed everybody else. He probably knew where Anakin was in the building. Okay. I think you're right, but I'm not necessarily going to stake. I'm not going to die on that hill. Sure. Because you're talking about, you know, Mace Windu's such a good lightsaber fighter. Well, maybe he actually just won. 
you know, it, it was fast. Maybe it wasn't as impressive. But the thing was, maybe he did just win because he's that good. And he won fast because he's just that good. And then, you know, maybe at that point, after he's on the ground and I've lost that, you know, sort of like when Dooku loses the one fight, he's like, all right, well, we'll do this other fight instead. All right, well, I've lost my lightsaber fight because, uh, you know, Samuel Jackson's just that good. Well, now I'm going to move on to my lightning and my other stuff that I can do. It may be a certain fighting on the margins thing. I think we can agree he's totally not defeated. Even if we correct, I I think that he might have actually lost the lightsaber fight, but he was never actually in danger of being arrested or killed. And played it up and played it up when Anakin arrived. That is what I believe. That Jamie stated that perfectly. That's what I believe. I believe that he did genuinely. I did think he did genuinely lose the lightsaber fight, but I think it was a shock. (laughs) Ha ha to Mace Windu that uh, he could use the lightning. Um, I, I don't think that was I, he was prepared for that. I, I, I'm fine with that. It's more my stance of where he was totally not defeated by Mace yes, Windu. Yes, this yes. Was, he, he was very much playing that up. Probably, I mean, even if you want to say he was defeated in the lightsaber fight, he was clearly lulling him into a trap, and then he extra sold it when Anakin then, Anakin then showed up to appear helpless before slaughtering Mace Windu. Okay, now I'm going to make uh, each one of you the uh, chief creative officer of Lucasfilm. This is your decision now. Rest with you. Um, Jamie, uh, George Lucas and his lack of homework and understanding of Star Wars is not in this in this conversation. It's just you. Um, Spencer, uh, you'll go first. Okay. Do, did Mace Windu survive this fall? Do no. You bring, do you no. bring him back in no. anything else? No. So wait, wait, wait no. you're, you're not asking – did he? You're asking, do you want him to? If you got to like rewrite episode, exactly, three? exactly. Okay, well, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, because no. we we don't know if he did. They have they haven't in the new canon. They haven't said anything about if he's actually survived or not. The implication is that he died, but there's always rumors that he maybe he survived, and rumors that they would bring him back in some sort of like other series or whatever. So my question is, if you're the chief creative officer, do you pull the trigger on? Okay, Mace Windu survived. We're going to bring him back in something else. Spencer is uh, not. I'm a hard no. I, I would have given it a different death and would have adjusted that scene along the lines we've talked about. But him dying here and Anakin being a driving force for it is important. I think it's, it is very narratively important in that regard. And also, I'm just frustrated as shit with Disney. Have you ever heard the term the Disney death? Of where go, go back and watch classic Disney films. The villain almost always dies by falling and just falls off camera so they can avoid, keep their G rating. I'm sick as hell with a Disney death that then, that then pulled back. The guy fell out of a skyscraper after getting his arm cut off. Yeah, that, that that's uh, it's the the comic book death of the it's Joker. The same category, yes. Well, this died. wasn't Disney when it was created, but I, I yeah, see your but, point. But no, no, he, he, you're right though. There, the, the number of villains who just fall by die by falling, and you don't see them dying, but we all just act like they died. That's that's Disney's way of killing villains. Um, I understand, but this but, wasn't Disney. Um, I. I, I no. But, but, but I understand disliking the falling ambiguousness, uh, and I do understand disliking the, you know, nobody's ever really dead because we want to be able to merchandise them and use them in future stories. Good that Lord, that out. again. Oh, my God. How many what? times are we going to talk it's about this fucking podcast? What? I'm oh. making billions <laughs> off it. Look, I, no, I'm just saying I understand it, but okay. So you, here's my answer then. We'll, we'll move on to, to me because I'm now in charge. Yes, yes. You're a creative, I, creative officer. Luke's film. I, I, I will answer your question and a separate question. The, I think in the movie it was so strongly implied that he did die. I would be personally very surprised if any outside material ever said that he lived. I think that he did die. If I was in charge, I actually had never thought about this. I so strongly assumed he died. It never crossed my mind. But now that you've asked me, I would actually love it. Love it. 
if he fell off. The falling off shifted him into full-on half-Jedi, half-Sith. He just was bitter and went into, like, hiding and came out as a real gray Jedi later, unrelated. And him appearing to die, uh, Anakin thinking he died, fulfills the story of Anakin, oops, I killed him. Kind of doesn't matter if he's dead or not. Anakin thinks that he just dead. Yeah. So it fills the same narrative purpose there. Have it be a while later, because I don't want to mess around with the other stuff. But having it be either, you know, an unnamed character who just kind of looks like him and you never get confirmation that it is him, but I'm in charge of it, so I'm saying that it secretly is. Or that he actually comes back, and, you know, when Luke is making his temple, that he has to fight some gray Jedi temple on the other side of the galaxy that's headed by Mace Windu. I think that's actually really cool. I think that could be fun. I love the gray Jedi idea as a whole concept. You and your fucking love of the gray Jedi. You're always trying to avoid to make the gray Jedi a thing. Look, they're the only ones who actually understand what the word balance means. I can get Black's Law Dictionary. We can figure out what balance means. But if balance in the Force is so good, what the hell, Yoda? You're well, not, because, because it, so the, the best Dave Filoni described it the best I've ever heard, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, is that the dark side is not a is not the other end of the scales with light side. It's not there is all, there's all this like knowledge and et cetera et cetera in the light side, and then there's all this et cetera et cetera knowledge and whatever in the dark side, and you have to choose between the two, and they're relatively like equal in the sense that they are opposite poles. There, the light side of the force is the force. The dark side is simply a corruption of that. It's yes. it's it's a it's a it's misusing the tools of what the force is. The force is the quote light side. The dark side is not a balance to it. It's a corruption of what the force really is. That was the best explanation I've ever heard of. It. Spencer, you seem to like that. That that is what the that is clearly what the original trilogy was going for. And legends have flirted with all kinds of different ways of doing it. But I think the original trilogy is the cleanest and easiest to actually work through things. And it's my own personal life count. Um, okay, so I actually uh, I'm going to vote all of that, all of it. Citation I, needed. I know you hate it. I'm going to no, vote. Well, I'm going to vote for J- Jamie's Jamie's idea here. I would love if Mace Windu came back as a bitter, angry. He'd been, you know, in hiding because the Jedi, you know, because Order sixty six happened, which were that, that's a great and he didn't know that it was there. Y- Yoda's and, hidden. He doesn't know. He thinks yeah, he's the only one. And he comes back one handed and fucking, you know, pale as a ghost and angry and ready to to kill people because he's like so physically or mentally changed or whatever. I I don't know. That would be dope. It, I, I really love the idea, Jamie. And Jamie, just on the subject of uh, Grey Jedi, my favorite Grey Jedi are honestly people like Jolie Bendo in terms of characters of where... Who's that? Citation needed. Uh, you, haven't met, you haven't met him yet, but you'll meet him in Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic Okay. once you get farther oh. into that game. Cool. Oh, okay. I, I played through that game and I loved it, but it was like a decade or the, two decades ago, and I, I forget these, a lot. These meat surly, bags. I remember these, the meat bags. HK-47. The, the surly yeah. old black bald Jedi. Oh, that guy, yeah. That one. Uh... Where he is 100% a light side Jedi. He only wields the light side of the Force, but he's rejected the Jedi Order and the Jedi Code and the Jedi Principles attached to it as being stifling, corrupt, wrongful, misleading, and much more preferring an individualized pursuit and understanding of the Force. He is clearly a great Jedi, but he never ponders flirting with the dark side and is very firmly in the light. It's just in that aspect of its understanding of the Force that is removed from the Jedi Order itself. No, that makes him a non-Jedi light user. This he's is not different. gray, and he's not Jedi. He's, he's, he's literally not gray or not Jedi. Discuss. 
But we, we, can go into the, we, we shouldn't go into this all pod, but he's usually cited as an example of a Grey Jedi, but it's a different understanding of Grey Jedi. This is the, the scope of the Legends canon, but even the term Grey Jedi is scarcely defined. But let's return to the film, and we can discuss this more off camera. All right. Well, and after that, film, we'll talk about it. the Young Jedi Knights book series, which is actually where the true uh, important descriptions of Grey Jedi comes from. Palpatine issues Order 66. which One of the best o- scenes in the film. Yep. Execute Order 66, commands the clone troopers to kill their commanding Jedi, and then we see a montage of the clone troopers turning against the Jedi, and a lot of people always question, a lot of people question, how can the Jedi possibly have been killed by these basically clones of... (laughs) They get shot um, 900 times, there's a lot of bolts going yeah, so it's it's the element of surprise, and I think that yeah. for me, for me, whatever, for me, the film does a pretty good job in a very short sure. amount of time indicating that that's why this is happening, but it also does illustrate how Yoda is typically, um, not in everything, not in everything, but typically ahead of the curve on this shit because he senses it before he, the, the clone troopers that are, are behind him are able to shoot him, and he jumps up and lops their heads off very fast. Um, but he is, in a, he is in a sideways situation because he's got some clone troopers there on Kashyyyk. Uh, and I think, yeah, so let's just go through the montage of the Jedi dying and the Execute Order 66 sort of part of the film. Spencer? Uh, well, one thing to start at the beginning, I'm curious to ask you guys, uh, if whether this is a change in the Legends canon or just a way of interpreting this scene. The reasons that Palpatine is disfigured and looks the way he does in the, in, in the, in the original trilogy movies. Before this film, all of the Legends canon said it was it was a side effect of being a, uh, an intense practitioner of the dark side of the Force, of where effectively by dealing with that corruption, by dealing with that unnatural entity and being such a master of it and channeling it through his body, he was almost becoming a walking corpse in terms of what he was dealing. It was more the equivalent of like a lich from established fantasy kind of media in terms of that, along those lines. This seems to be saying that, no, it was a side effect of his light thing blasting back on his face from Mace Windu. Am I interpreting that correctly for what we're supposed to get out of this film? Yes. The the lightning is what disfigured him. The Um, lightning disfigured him, but he really leaned into it. And he he, he took no no extra effort or action to try to fix it because he was very excited to be able to use that – as PR to say, look what the God. look what the Jedi did to me. I mean, it really yeah. helped his case uh, about the Jedi being corrupt. I so when I first saw the film, and I still love this video. I so preferred the Legends interpretation of why Palpatine looks like he was to this film. I even started to head candidate of no, no, no. He's just losing his glamour. That he always looked that way because he's been a dark side practitioner forever, and effectively the lightning is just uncovering what he's been using to mask himself forever. But I agree, the film seems to be going to no, no, no. He just, it legitimately just blew back in his face and then he's leaning into it hard. I don't I think like bo- it. I think it can be both, though, because he does, he does start to look worse as the series goes on from, from, he, he looks way worse in six than he does in three. And then, of course, when we see him again in nine, he looks extremely worse, but that's a clone body, et cetera. But like, it all, it, it, you, you do see a progression of him sort of decaying and becoming like what, what you said, Spencer, like a walking course. I, I, I prefer, if you 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 give. I'm now the, the chief creative officer at, at Lucasfilm. You give me both options. I would have picked the Legends canon that he he basically becomes disfigured over time because of his practitioner of the dark side. But the fact that there is a like, some sort of like impetus 
thing, you know, like this battle with Mace Windu does disfigure him, but he leans into it, and then it just becomes worse over time. That doesn't take me out of it, but it's a good distinction, Spencer, and I, I think I prefer the original. just wanted to highlight, because it, it, Lucas was never really comfortable with how much freedom he gave the Legends canon anyway, so this feels yeah. like a bit of an effort of reasserting control on his part. I don't you like it, but it is what it is. But he did give them too much, though, because there, there are some Legends books that are sideways. It's, it's the fun of the Legends canon. Every Star Wars fan just ignores, like, at least a third of it. Everybody. No matter how much you enjoy it, everyone just goes, ah, no. No, that's not my canon. Sorry. But it gave you, you that freedom. You're inspiring me to look this all up and decide what one third is wonderful and terrible now. Chewbacca's death, I, I completely, I completely. A agree. lot of the song invasion, I'm just like, ah, completely ah, ignored that. Ah. Um, okay, so uh, execute order sixty six. Do you have anything else? We, we, uh, we, and we we see like at least four or five Jedi in different circumstances die. And like you said, main thing we're seeing is element of surprise. Yes. These are their trusted soldiers. They are the generals. They fought alongside them for at least years. three years now. This is not something they've got any reason to suspect they're going to be betrayed on in this moment, particularly in this kind of organized fashion. And most of the attacks we see are very pointedly catching them at weak moments. Uh, we see, I forget the name of the one, the one master with the more kind of pyramid or conehead uh, that is in front of his troops is leading an attack. He's caught between a crossfire of the enemy before they turn on him. Uh, several of them are flying ships that are immediately strafed and cut down while they're going through the process. These are very targeted attacks in terms of the moment they occur. The single worst one is the one that doesn't actually work, of where it's just two guys that go after Yoda, and he's got two Wookiees next to him. Of where I, From what we see and from what we hear about the relationship, how on earth did they expect to leave that room alive, even if they did successfully take out Yoda? Those Wookiees would have ripped them limb from limb. Uh, execute Order 66 doesn't mean try to survive. Nope. It means kill the Jedi. This is true. Until it's not there anymore. Yep, it's a great point. Uh, but it, I, I do like that Yoda was a little ahead of the curve. I also think it was sure. important to get Yoda to Kashyyyk because, like, I think that it, Anakin would have gone to Yoda with the knowledge that Palpatine was a Sith Lord instead of Mace Windu if, if Yoda had been around. And then that interaction would have gone much different, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm, we'll get to if Yoda can beat Palpatine or Palpatine can beat Yoda here in a second. Um, but it obviously would have gone much differently. So it's important to get him off world so that Mace Windu handles that interaction. Uh, he's basically the second in command at the time. I agree. I also do love that we got the same kind of um, effect on Yoda that we saw happen to Obi-Wan when Alderaan yes, blew up into yes. of where he's powerful Jedi and so integrally connected to the Force that he's the only one that we explicitly see who feels physically the effects of this sudden disruption of the Jedi presumably the vast majority of the 10,000 Jedi around the galaxy being killed in a single moment. I teared up uh, when I watched that. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was well that, done. That, that got me because uh, how much I love the Yoda character um, and how much it, you know, it all kind of, kind of comes crashing down on him because like Yoda, it, like any really genuinely good person, Yoda is the hardest, harder on himself than anybody else is on him. And he feels his own failure extremely strong in that moment. Um, and it, you know, it's just really affecting to me as somebody who loves the character and is really invested in the story. Of the deaths that we see, the only one I thought that was kind of lame and should have been done better was the Twi'lek Jedi Knight uh, that's walking through that kind of jungle world. And what, whereas everybody else is either it's clearly a surprise, they're cut down to the ships, they're caught in the middle. She's just kind of immediately shot in the back and drops, which I thought was one. I think that one could have been handled a little bit better in terms of how it was played out. 
But I thought it was pretty gnarly that after she drops, they just keep shooting her corpse on the ground. Yeah, it's pretty tough. That shows how mindless the Order 66 is with the, the implanted ship. I, my favorite was the Jedi who's like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. Yeah, the, the Jedi Master, that, yeah. That moment, that was, that was, really, that was really powerful. The, the look of realization on his face was well sold. If we're, in the moments before his death, he realizes he's been betrayed. And that, 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 that was, I thought that was pretty well done. So a few beats back, we before Obi-Wan really got into it with General Grievous, and we do have a fight scene with General Grievous, which is a pretty cool fight scene. It shows that, um, you know, the technology, droid technology can, can fight with Jedi. Uh, I mean, technology does assist in the fight against the Jedi. Ultimately, the Jedi prevails here, but, like, the General Grievous' technology, which is elite technology, does, does help him. Um, General, General Grievous, by the way, is a heart lungs, brain, and eyes. I think that's what they kept of the body uh, and put into the droid. I I do wish that, given that they're making General Grievous a character, they'd gone into that a little bit more. They do in this scene. This is the only scene where we have a very effective moment when the two of them are actually staring each other in the eyes, and you see for a second that he's got biological eyes. And that's like, oh, this is an interesting character. But it took so long to get to that point that we just had a weird coughing droid for an hour and a half of the film without much of a background going into it. I agree. It's the curse of them introducing this character at the 11th hour. I agree. But but it is, again, you know, for the the person who wants to get into the lore a little bit, that is what Anakin could be. Um, And it would have been um, way, 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 way more. Uh, Way, way, way better. Um, yeah, Jamie, I, I hear that you might have to cut out a little early. That's okay. We'll, uh, well, if you have to cut out, just let us know. Uh, we'll, we'll do whatever we can. Um, so okay. we move to, um, so anyway, but what I was pointing out is that Obi-Wan has that battle with, uh, with General Grievous. Grievous, but at the same time, we saw General Grievous give instructions to move the Trade Federation base of operation to Mustafar. So after the execution of Order 66, um, and then we see Anakin go, oh, God, one of the worst scenes ever. He goes to the Jedi Temple and kills the younglings. Yoda, well says, uh, Yoda says, okay, our sort of last ditch here is, is me and Obi-Wan. We're kind of the last two here. Obi-Wan, you go to Mustafar. You confront Anakin. I will go confront the Emperor. I've always wondered, I've always wondered what would happen if you flipped that. If Yoda said, you know what, Be- because of your relationship with Anakin, you're not the right person to confront him. I will go confront him. You go confront the Emperor. I know Obi-Wan didn't – I know Yoda did not do that because he would have effectively been sending Obi-Wan to his death. So he was not willing to do that. But if it had been flipped, Yoda would have gone and killed Anakin, and then the Palpatine would have killed Obi-Wan, and we would have had a, a vastly different story. So pointing out that what if is kind of fun. But anyway, that's where we are in the in the recap. Spencer, you got a point? One thing I just want to give you credit for. While I think his dialogue delivery over the film is mixed and wooden, whether it's intentional or not, we could say it, uh, Hayden Christensen's physical acting vastly starts to improve from this from, from this scene right here, of where his march into the Jedi Temple is rightfully one of the more iconic scenes in Star Wars. And the physical acting he proclaims now that he has committed himself as a Sith is pretty actually well done, and I will give him credit in that regard. Yeah, thank you for, for saying that. For my guy, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about Hayden Christensen is that, like, he was a massive Star Wars fan his entire life, and when he got the call that he got this role, he lived in a New York apartment with with one of the other buddy Spencer. Think like like me in my early twenties, like living with one of my college buddies, and sure. him and his buddy did a cyclone around the room, screaming sure. and yelling. So he, more so than maybe any other actor in this entire prequel series, uh, was a 
was appreciated what he had. And so he did spend an awful lot of time at the gym working with, you know, um, the people on the lightsaber duels and stuff, trying to get the physical acting right. He did work really hard at it. You can you can say if he did a good job or not, but he was he was trying very, very hard. He knew what he had. He, right. he did not take this as a sort of like side project. And that's my beef with Natalie Portman is that all of her conversations about Star Wars, she, she, was very, too for it. she very much viewed this as something she was too good for. And that frustrated me. And I feel like that bore out in her acting from time to time. Jamie, mm-hmm. anything on uh, the, the plot as we get up to the confrontations of Yoda, Palpatine and Obi-Wan Anakin? I heard one theory that I didn't really believe, but I liked the idea that, um, you know, you're, I think most of the Dark Lords picked their own name, but just in this moment, all of a sudden, the Emperor was like, oh, i got to come up with a name for you. Um, Vader. Yeah, we're going to go with that one. I, I just like that idea. I don't think it's true, but I choose to believe it because it amuses me that he came up with the name Vader off the top of his head and wasn't prepared. Um, wouldn't really be very much. He's a very prepared guy. He probably Yeah, that's not really in keeping, but. Yeah, I like it anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think everything that you said is pretty true. Honestly, I, I don't have too much to add to those parts. Well, if if your idea that uh, they had flipped and that Yoda went to go to Anakin, he wouldn't have sent anybody to the Emperor. He would have just said, look, we can't beat the Emperor. We're just Why would he send Obi-Wan to his death? Just go kill Anakin, and then there's at least two on one. Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe he wouldn't have done that. Maybe they both or, could have gone to get Anakin. Or both um, of them goes after the Emperor together. Maybe yeah, that would have worked. Yeah, um, I, it could have. Yeah, the, the, any 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 iteration of it might have been more effective than what actually occurred. I, I will say another thing on, and, and I know I'm just sitting here beating her up, but I, I saw this the other day. I, can't, I have to say it. I saw an interview with Natalie Portman and with Conan O'Brien, and Conan O'Brien said, "Are you? Hey, you've never gone to any? Because Conan O'Brien's a, he could be on this podcast. He's like a geek yeah. like us." He said, are you ever going to go to a Star Wars convention? And Natalie Portman scoffed and said, "Maybe if I needed some money at some point." Ooh, I yeah. mean, so she views herself as too good for the world, and that that gets borne out in a lot of the acting. And so I kind of wish they'd cast somebody different. But I, I get the point of wanting to cast at least a couple of big names. And that's the thing, same thing with Sam Jackson. Like, it's, he's a big name, but I don't think Sam Jackson was sitting around doing the homework that, like, say, a Ewan McGregor did um, that Jamie pointed out earlier in this podcast. Here's the thing, though. Natalie Portman was so much less wooden and more believable here. Her lines were worse somehow and she didn't have a lot of them but when she did them you know she smiled she seemed like she actually had personality and i know that in episode two she was a good actress by then even if you want to say whether or not she was really good at at the age that she was for the episode one she could have done good in episode two and she wanted a character who's more wooden this one i i thought they gave her less to work with in three and she did better than she had done in the prior ones, I thought, honestly. Uh, I yes, thought her as a human in this one in a way that I didn't in the others, even if the things she say are... General, sh- yeah, general consensus <laughs> is that she did a little bit better in this one. I uh, okay. I don't I don't personally think so. I think All she's right. pretty wretched. Um, that's just my opinion. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a basic dude. I, I General consensus is actually my, my Star Wars name. So you know that I'm oh, sure. well, sure. I mean, shit. I, 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 you want to talk about Josh basic. I'm, basic? I'm basically just the Star Wars cheerleader on this podcast. If anybody's basic, I am. Um, uh, so, so we have the duel between Obi-Wan and Vader at this point. We can call him Vader. And here's how I took this duel. And I, I'm just interested to hear you guys' thoughts. Is that, you know, Obi-Wan is wielding the Sarisu, um, 
Bart's form of lightsaber fight fighting, right? So he's very he's very defensive. He's not really on the attack. Uh, Anakin is on the attack. Anakin is probably a le- better lightsaber duelist. He probably is stronger in the Force at this point, but it is simply his overconfidence that defeats him. I'm not sure it's as much Obi-Wan that defeats him as his overconfidence. That's kind of how they wanted it to be portrayed. That's how I took it. I never at any point thought that Obi-Wan was a stronger Jedi than Vader in this scene. I thought that Vader was overconfident. He was not. He was just now embracing the, the dark side of the Force and leaning into fighting with a grain, anger and aggression. He hadn't been able to um, work with Palpatine to hone that a little bit, and he was a little bit over the top, over overconfident, and that's yeah. what ultimately well, destroyed him. Yeah, it's, it's like he discovers he's stronger through his left hand, so he switches hands, but he hasn't been fighting with his left hand. Before. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great analogy, and 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 that that ultimately is his doom. And so maybe maybe like Obi Wan caught him at a good time, right? Because if it had been a year later and he'd been working with Palpatine for a year, I'm not quite so sure Obi Wan would have been able to beat him. It, it also just seems to be more in keeping with Obi Wan's style from what we see when he fights Grievous earlier that he's a guy who fights who defeats you in detail. He picks his moment and he kind of slowly picks you down or waits for the moment to actually you know. Waits for you to mess up to then exploit, and that plays out in this fight. Or, as you guys said, Anakin's clearly on tilt in a lot of ways, and Obi Wan is successfully using that to his advantage to both hold his own and then ultimately prevail. In terms of the overall fight itself, I'm curious to your guys' thoughts. For me, it's visually impressive, but it's over the top and goes on too long for my sake. Yep. Curious to your thoughts. The I I agree. The uh, riding the lava part, I didn't. I don't actually like the riding the lava part. It looks kind of cool. But it could have been half the amount of time they actually are on the like lava rafts. You could cut to a third, and it would improve the entire scene. Well, I, I'm, I am okay. I, they did spend a long time with it, but I am okay that they spent a long time with it because it is the most important lightsaber duel that occurs in all of Star Wars. And so, I, therefore, I, I think if you're going to give any lightsaber duel a lot of screen time, it should be this one because it's what turns you know, Vader into the thing that we see him in in episode four and, you know, is the basis for episode four, five, and six. So to me, it's, it's important enough to give a lot of time to you, but I do grant you that they did spend a lot of time. I, sure. I, I think, I think Yoda would, would disparage you for saying it's the most important just because like most violent and everything. I think that, I think he'd probably disagree with you. And now I want, I want to give some thought into who Yoda would say is the most important fight. Probably something not in the prequels, I think. I don't know. I'll think about that. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, I, I'm talking about for the Skywalker saga yeah. plot. I, 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 it's an incredibly important fight. I would have taken stuff out of the middle and added it to the beginning and the end because it's the character drama between the two that matters more than the flailing of the lightsabers. All right. And, I, and, yes, go ahead. Continue, please. I, I would say that acknowledging that the intro has possibly my least favorite line in all of Star Wars that we've discussed extensively on the prior episodes in terms of only a Sith deals and absolutes, which you guys can debate whether that's intentional hypocrisy or not. I don't think it was. That's my, you know, that's my supposition. I'm adding that little code at the start. Um, but I hate that line. Doesn't necessarily take away from the fact, though, that the intro I, and the exit are well done, and I wish they'd actually even gone more into those, given the importance of the relationship between the two, and that breaking down in this moment being the driving force for what occurs afterwards in the Star Wars saga. Only a Sith deals in absolute Spencer. I I, uh, I think that I wish wish they changed deals to thinks. Only a only a only a Sith thinks in absolutes because I think that 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 my head canon is that's kind of what he means. He means like this all or nothing thinking 
of you're either with me or you're against me, that sort of horseshit is is what he's pushing back on hard, and it's just not framed perfectly. Um, and I've it, my head cannon has always been so strong that I've unironically said it on this podcast feed because you have because when because if you think about it, if I can only say me, I think about it as only a Sith thinks in these black or white terms. And that is a sort of powerful concept because thinking in black and white terms of, man, this, this is either going to work 100% or it's not going to work at all. If you go through life doing that, like it's a pretty fucking miserable way to live and you're setting yourself up for failure. So I've always – like my headcanon is that line always makes I, sense. But I, you guys I'm have, you guys have – and I still don't like it. You guys have helped me though because only a Sith deals in absolutes is different than what my headcanon was, and deals mean in how you how you fucking operate in the world. And the Jedi obviously had had operated in black and white a lot of times. So yeah, it is hypocritical line. So um, I, but but I, I you you've actually turned me around a little bit, Lee, on this because I thinking about it in you know I, I give people passes because they're in heat of the moment things and they say some dumb stuff and that's very human and realistic. Right, he's kind of in the heat of the moment. We don't hear that as like a mantra of the Jedi. He says it kind of like it is, but maybe he's just talking because he's talking. And if if you reframed it slightly as only Sith can't see nuance or something, that kind of is the same thing. The idea of the nuance matters, and if you can only see in black and white, then that's a problem. That uh, I would. Yeah, it is a problem. It absolutely. I would, is. I would love if episode one of the Obi-Wan show was Obi-Wan on Tatooine, and he does that little thing where he wakes up in the middle of the night and just has that kind of memory of something stupid you did ten years ago that's still haunting you. It's like, oh, man, I was supposed to be a badass line. It was dumb. I messed up the execution. Yeah. Yeah. I would love if that kind of human moment of Obi-Wan just doing what we all do with respect to that. I accept your idea of just black and white thinking and lack of nuance and all or nothing is a bad idea. If, if that's what really? I want to translate the line into, then I accept that, and it's actually pretty wise. Yeah. Um, okay, let's 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 turn yeah. to if you got uh, all the words and put in all new words. It becomes a great smart thing. The one where I get the most frustrated, which is Yoda with Palpatine, because here's how I interpret it. I'll do the, the same thing. Here's how I interpreted this: Yoda confronts Palpatine. Love when he waves off his guards. That's one of the cooler moments. Of the Funk. That was, um, that's that the was stuff really, I want more. That's yeah, what I wanted in the, uh, in the Palpatine Jedi fight. Yeah, and they and, and they do use lightsabers, so I'm sure you, you're not a fan of that. But I think Ian McDermott, his acting portrays to me that he is shocked at Yoda's power. He hmm. in the opening moments of that fight, he seems taken aback and shocked. They seem to fight to about a standstill, except Yoda does slip, but like he slips and falls, but like there's nothing stopping him from getting back up and going up there, other than he knows that he can't defeat him but can't defeat someone is different than I will be defeated by I never took it that it was a foregone conclusion that if Yoda had gone back up there and started round two that the Emperor would have defeated and killed him I don't think I don't believe that I think they were fighting to a stalemate and Yoda thought my goal here is to kill him I can't kill him quickly and he has he owns all the apparatus he owns everything around so if we take more time He's only going to bring more troops and more everything in. I got to get out of here now because I don't have any of the infrastructure apparatus support around me because everything has collapsed. I got to go. So my big pushback, and I'll shut up, is that I never took it that Yoda took an L. I think, but I think it was a zero zero one situation. It was a tie, but Yoda felt like he had no more time to complete the mission and he had to leave. Spencer, so he, he here. I th- I think 
Yoda. I think Yoda could have won. I think he had the upper hand. I think that he got a little unlucky. I think that I think the Emperor snatched a tie out of the jaws of defeat. And that if he had just had a little bit more time, he might have won. Because I, I, I do feel like he had the upper hand in almost the entirety of it. I do hear what you're saying, where the longer it goes, his odds go down a lot. Because if you have 900 Star Troopers, Star Troopers, you at once, you can't dodge 900 lines of laser at the same time. Unless, uh, unless, Jamie, you are simply a force ghost and um, you're standing, you're standing <laughs> as a force ghost and a million, a million different uh, laser bolts come at you from the guy from Girls. And, uh, and, you, and you still survive. Uh, yeah, I loved that part so much, and we can talk about that another day. We don't have time. I actually, I actually really liked it we, too. Uh, we, so we, need, we need to wrap up before we can talk about that. But that is actually a great part of that movie. And you I agree. I actually yeah. agree. I'm, I'm teasing, but I actually like that right. too, Spencer. Okay, I agree with y'all's interpretation. Uh, the only thing I would add there is this, it reminds me of something from uh, World War One of where Battle of Jutland, Admiral Jellicoe was criticized for being too cautious. That Oh, know, wait a second. Let's let's assume that we don't all know exactly what this is. He's telling us. He's telling the story. Sorry, World no, 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 war no, that had... He, uh, he, went, uh, he went really fast. He World War One is. It's he was, went really fast. I was hoping he could slow down okay. and say the La- largest, slow. L- largest naval battle of World War One. The one, the one main opportunity of when the dreadnoughts, the ships that they invested the arms race, when they caused the World War One, were finally able to level out to engage each other in battle between the British Empire and the German Empire. Ended in a draw, where the, the entire British objective was to inflict a serious defeat on the high seas fleet. The commander of the British Navy, Admiral Jellicoe, was criticized for an overly cautious strategy, which allowed the, Brit- the German Navy to escape and accept a draw where he actually suffered greater losses than the Germans did, which was deemed an insult to national honor. Uh, Winston Churchill, who a uh, famous British politician at the time, I believe he was the, um, uh, the commander, the, uh, the secretary of the Navy, uh, defended Jellicoe and essentially said he was the only man in the world who could have lost the war in an afternoon. Yoda's facing the same thing. It's too big of a risk. Unless he can get the easy victory, unless he can be sure of victory, he's too important to risk dying here because that loses everything going forward. That gives them no hope for the future. He had his shot. He saw it was closing. And if he actually would, would risk, even risk going back there in the end, He's gambling the entire future of the galaxy, which is not a risk he can take. So I fully, I support your interpretation. And I support Yoda's decision making here. Yeah. You know what, Spencer? I have nothing else to add. I completely agree with everything said. Um, okay, so then we get to the end of the film, right? Um, yep. After these two big battles. Obi-Wan and Yoda have this plan. Uh, so first off, then we see uh, Padme give birth, right? She gives birth to twins. And, and die of sadness. Die of she, sadness. She, she dies because the emperor across of the galaxy sadness. was able to lower her white blood cell count and her immune system, and she got an infection, and she died. She, he, he hid her Prozac, and she died of sadness. Senator Bail Organa, um, who uh, I believe is also uh, President Santos. Is that correct? Uh, Jimmy Smith's always represented President Santos. Uh, uh, spoiler alert: uh, He takes the the, ch- the 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 girl child. He takes Leia, and then Luke is taken by Obi Wan to, and he's going to over. So it's kind of a little bit different, right? Bail Organa is going to raise the girl Leia. Luke is going to take uh, uh, Obi Wan's going to take Luke to his family on Tatooine and oversee it. Now Spencer. 
this is a part you hate because it continues to reinforce is more tattooing. There's all tattooing all the time. Um, this this certainly reinforces that. And then after that scene, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is Yoda and Obi-Wan planning, basically saying, hey, the kids have to go into exile uh, or the kids have to be hidden. We have to go into exile. And they're basically the, the new hope for the galaxy. Like if we're, if we're going to come back from this, it's through these two children. So I'm going to go. Yoda takes off to Dagobah that actually has an extremely hard dark side uh, corrupted force presence, and that is able to mask his his bright force light throughout the universe, and so it's a perfect place for him to go, and Obi-Wan goes to Tatooine, and then we have some really cool um, scenes of Palpatine and Vader, and they start to connect the imagery of the film to episode mm-hmm. four. The ships start looking the same, the screens start looking the same, the costumes start looking young, the same, and then we see the Death Young Star. Tarkin appears. Young Tarkin, Tarkin appears Tarkin. overseeing the Death Star. Very, very cool. We see the Death Star, and you know, for those that have read the uh, the books know that the the Death Star was a big thing that Tarkin was pushing for, and uh, others others in the Empire were pushing for a ro- more robust Tie Fighter fleet because they felt like Tie Fighters die too easily in battle, which we've seen all the fucking time in the movies. But stay Tarkin true wins until up. Thrawn. Until <laughs> Thrawn, that's going to stay true. Thrawn is actually one Keep of the. Uh, Thrawn is advocating for the for the X-wing, he, he the the bolstered X-wing fleet. But uh, Tarkin wins out, and we get the Death Star, and that is sort of the connection from Episode Three to Episode Four. I thought the ending, I thought they stuck the landing. I loved the ending personally, but uh, that's just my opinion. Now we've wrapped up with the with the end of the recap of the plot. Jamie, I know you have a hard stop, and if here in a few minutes, I want to give you the floor for any any final thoughts about Episode Three and the prequels in general. Okay, so I'm going to start with why three is the best, actually, and just because I don't want to miss that. I think this is the secret that I had earlier. I think three has the best acting. I think it also has some of the worst acting, but it has some of the best acting. Seeing, as you said, with the Emperor, but especially between in the fight scene at the end between Obi-Wan and Anakin or Vader, I actually love it. I think they do such a good job. And I think I appreciated it more after seeing the Obi-Wan series, like a lot of things. But the acting, the emotion, you very rarely see anything where somebody can have that much raw screaming, I hate you, and it not come across as comical or stupid or over the top. It seemed incredibly natural and perfect. Loved it. Some of the most human acting, the most human interaction, I think, of any of the nine movies – uh, and at any point was scenes with Anakin and either the Emperor or with uh, Obi-Wan. I think that Ewan McGregor and the Emperor carried this movie and every scene they were in was good and every scene they weren't in uh, suffered from their lack. Um, so that's why I say it's the best because it showcases emotional connections and acting better than any other movie in a way that I did not even remember how good it was when it was good. It is the worst movie. Oh, that's it. We, we're out. We're cutting the time. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us here. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, it is the worst movie of them all because, oh, gosh. I'm pausing here because well, I, I'm actually hard pressed to say why it's the worst. Because every here, I will say everything that it does bad, I think there is another movie that does worse. I think it's just a combination of a, it has a combination of a lot of really bad things. 
characters making stupid choices, actors phoning it in, CG that is overplayed. And it doesn't necessarily do any of those the worst, but it might have the worst combination of them all. Um, and, and I guess that's all I have to say, which I guess comes out more positive than negative. I came out of my rewatch more positive than I expected to be. Because the, the bad is bad, but the bad is sprinkled through the whole movie, and the good hits you like sucker punches. So I can say it's bad because it's just weak throughout, and it's painful over and over and over again. But it, it's like a miasma of bad with mountains of good coming out above the clouds. And I'll take a movie that has good and bad well over a movie that's just mediocre throughout. So... I, I guess I punted on the why it's the worst. I guess I don't think it's the worst. How did that happen? So it sounds like what you're saying is that your the prequels are not necessarily your favorite bit of Star Wars, anything. But of the prequels, you found this one to be maybe a little bit better than the rest. Yes, I guess so. I, I like Episode 2 more than 3, I guess, because it's a little bit more fun. But the things that I actually think are good about them... Uh, are the, the acting and the interaction is stronger in three, and that's more important. I liked the fight scenes in two, like the actual just action in two, is some of my favorite action in the series, honestly. And I don't know if I said that in our episode two, but it's just fun, and I like it. It's nostalgic for me, the fight scenes in two. And three doesn't have that, but three has just some of the best character interactions, and maybe not, maybe development, but just the most nuanced emotion on screen between characters of probably any of the movies, possibly some of the Luke and Ray stuff, because I'm a big fan of just the two of them in episode eight. But even then, no, this is better, I think. So that's what I'll say. And I'm going to say um, the the best line of the movie is, you, know, you are a brother to me, Anakin. Like, that, it, like, just that whole scene, honestly, almost every line of their interaction, I love. The worst line is, Mmba, Mmba. Because that droid irritates the hell out of me. Okay. All right. Well, once again, a wonderful performance here on the Mangum Talk Star Wars podcast. Thanks for joining us, Jamie. We really uh, appreciate you joining us. And we will be back probably maybe hopefully we can get the three of us together to talk a little Andor once we all catch up. Because I'd like to do like I'd a love mid-season check-in on Andor once we're able to watch a little bit of it. Because it is a very, very different Star Wars vehicle than anything we've gotten before. It- so that will be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for joining, Jamie. Spencer and I are going to wrap up here. Spencer, uh, what are your final thoughts about the film and final thoughts about the prequel? I'm I'm kind of interested because you've talked very specifically about each individual film. Now I want to hear your thoughts on prequel in in, in general. Well, now that I got the floor, I'll I'll first do what what Jimmy did with respect to best film, worst film. Because I think it's fun. I mean, yeah, that is is fun. Yeah. Um, In terms of best film, this is the film I think that understands better than ever that this is the this is the Skywalker saga. This is the film that drives home the role that the Skywalker family and particularly Anakin Skywalker is going to play in the overarching plot in terms of setting up some of my favorite films of all time. And it, it does a very good job of that, despite the fact that it really has to do a lot in short time. In Looking back at it, Attack of the Clones did very little to further the plot in that regard. Attack of the Clones is almost inconsequential in that regard. Phantom Menace does its role, but it's really just setting the pieces in motion. Really, almost every aspect of this is what's necessary to set the ground floor for the Star Wars trilogy is happening in this film and this film alone. And accomplishing that in two hours and making it coherent 
is an incredible journeyman achievement. And I got to give the film credit for that. That's not easy to do. I think in some ways they almost ripped themselves into a corner in terms of how much they now needed to get done in this film to finish off a trilogy. And yet they were able to accomplish that in a way that is indeed, I think, the best of the trilogy films. I think it understands best for itself what it is. I think it's well-paced in that regard, even if I think it drags a little bit in terms of the action scenes. I'll agree. The acting is better here. This leads into why I think it's the worst, though. The improvements make the defects all the more stark, and I think this film is the most unforgivable in terms of not learning from its predecessor's mistakes. Because it makes all of the same errors. It has all of the same problems. And now they stand out so much more starkly from how much the film has improved in the, around, around, the, around the margins and the presentation and other aspects. Um, Natalie Portman's acting becomes that much more unforgivable when, it, when the quality of the, of the other acting is improved. The dialogue stands out that poorly when you've got scenes of actors wielding it so well as like the scene between Palpatine and Anakin. So... This was the third one. This was this was Lucas's opportunity to see what worked in the priors, what 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 could improve in this one, and the fact that he got better around the overall packaging, but still had the same fundamental core problems that the, the prior two suffered from and didn't improve on those makes them all the more unforgivable in this case because he could have. We saw that he could have in this one. We saw he had the opportunity to improve, and he either thought he couldn't or he wasn't willing to admit that those problems were there and fixed. That That's my opinion on why this is the best and this is the worst in that regard. I can't Aren't do why I can't do why this is the worst because it's my second favorite Star Wars movie. I know. It'd, just, it'd be a complete lie for me. T- um, tell me why, tell me why it is the second favorite Star Wars film. Why do you put this above new hope? Because the story fundamentally, I, I mean, I'm here to be entertained. Fundamentally, the fundamentally, the story is more interesting to me than what's being told in a new hope. Fundamentally, what A New Hope is, is a story about a rebellion against an oppressive empire, and they get a victory at the end. And that's great, mm-hmm. and that's great. And it sets the tone, and it introduces the world, and there's a lot of lore building and all that stuff. I don't dislike New Hope. It's up there for me. But the story being told here is about how someone is being manipulated emotionally and professionally because he, he's worried about his profession um, and gets corrupted into doing something absolutely unthinkable. I think it is absolutely imperative that they threw in that we see him killing children. That that was super important to show. Like that couldn't have been off screen. We had to see that this man was that the corruption had gone that far. And that that's such a such a human story and to end on that note to not give you some sort of like bullshit victory in the end to make you feel good when you leave. No. This guy's corrupted. The Empire took over. An oppressive, oppressive regime won. The bad guy won, and that's the end of the movie? That is fucking fascinating to me. I really enjoyed it. And this, is, this is a point of where I will agree with you in terms of your perspective fully. That if you did like a two-paragraph a two back-of-the-book summary of these two films, I would have found the description of what this film is far more compelling than I would have found New Hope, based purely on that you know, scope of what they're covering, motions of characters, whatever else. Execution for you. And this is something we've always talked about. I'm I'm the execution guy. That's what matters to everything. If you give give me a ham sandwich that's well done, I'm going to write a quality Yelp review about that ham sandwich. Because it's not the material, it's how it's presented that matters to me. The simplest story, if done well, which is New Hope. New Hope is the simplest hero journey story you can possibly do. But it's one of the most magnificent portrayals of that possible 
from the execution and from distilling that simplicity so perfectly on the screen to create modern depth. For me, the execution sells a simple story because it understands that it does it well. And the execution is what lets down what could be a much more fascinating story here just because it gets it, it trips it trips over itself in the process of doing it. And so and so much of what I enjoy about fantasy is lore building. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I'm not just here for the story. I'm also here to to learn about the world, the, the world. Yeah, absolutely. And the introduction of Darth Plagueis. The, the 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 consistency of how Mace Windu tapping into the Force is shown, being able to see Palpatine really fight, seeing, watching Yoda fail and see how he adjusts, twists, moves in that failure to try to salvage something. There's there's a just a, you know and the 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 constant understanding of where people are in their ability to manipulate the Force and use that to fight others. Um, and then just little stuff like, you know, how Palpatine is able just they, – they take time to show politically how he's able to take over the Senate and how it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like uh, one minute he like, you know, is a, is elected senator from, Pal- from Naboo and then the next minute he's the chancellor. They take time to show that that political evolution had to occur and it, it happened in steps. And they even knew that this, this bill to give him absolute authority was, was on the Senate floor. And they talked about it before, Hey, the vote's coming, you know, they're, they're whipping votes. They're doing the whole thing. That realism super, super enjoyed. And I love that that stays consistent, that the dissolution, that the, the, the dissolving of the Senate doesn't even occur. When he takes over. He, that is yet another step. That takes more progressive ten years for him to get to a point where he can actually get rid of the Senate. So that that that's what makes that's what makes this film stand out a little bit more to me than New Hope is that while New Hope we get introduced to the world and that, and that is super important. Mm-hmm. There's way more background lore building and world building. You got more this. to chew on here. Yeah, exactly. And 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 even if if you throw in a bunch of shit like that. I tend to appreciate it, even if not, if you even if you don't stick the landing on every single point. Right. I appreciate the, that. Your, your appreciation. So it's one of those things like if we're delivered soup and it's just a combination of various different things that are piled together. I know you hate soup, but if we use this example anyway, you're going to appreciate the complexity. You're going to appreciate all the options so, they put into exactly. This. I want faux. I want the little yes. the little string be the, the bean sprouts, and I want the lime wedges and the whole fucking and, thing. <laughs> and I'm and, I, and I'm going to appreciate a really well done tomato soup much more than I'm going to appreciate what I think is a mediocre faux. Yeah, I think that's just yep. fundamentally where you and I come differently yep. upon yep. our experiences of things. I'm glad we found soup to unite on this. I'm going to give you a boon though before we go into our last couple segments though. One thing I will say that legitimately improved my view of the prequels in in retrospect, because I kind of brushed it aside from me hating the prequels so much. And I still don't like them, but I appreciate them more now going through them. Interesting. Is how well done Palpatine was throughout all of them and how well that all links together in terms of his various steps of his operation. That is showing work of a gardener in that regard, where Lucas had plans, he had steps, and he had imaginings of how this guy would have gone about his process of subverting democracy and overthrowing the Republic and becoming emperor. And we see each of those in each movie played out in a way that is fun to imagine, telegraph, and understand as they go. That's quality. That's well done. I think that's the best aspect of the prequels is watching Palpatine make his moves each step of the game. You know, the, when Lucas originally developed Star Wars and he was, he was building it all out, for the longest time, 
he envisioned the, the Galactic Empire to be ruled by Darth Vader. And mm-hmm. that Palpatine was a bureaucratic kind of guy in the background to help with some of the, you know, the political machinations. But ultimately, Vader was, in, was the master and Vader was in control. And he flipped it at one point. And then after he flipped it, he really did spend a lot of time saying, all right, if I'm, if I'm going to flip that, if I'm going to have Palpatine be the actual emperor, the leader, then I got to build that character out. And I think it's one of the bigger successes of the, of the prequels and, and the Skywalker saga in general. It's weird to think that the, cool, that the most interesting character in, uh, in the Skywalker saga might not be Anakin Skywalker. Maybe that – I don't know. Anakin's certainly up there, but he he might not be. It might be Palpatine. Um, my favorite Star Wars characters, obviously, of all time, Yoda, number one, now Grogu, number two, and then, then Palpatine, number three. That's just <laughs> – need- for those keeping track at home, that's still the big board. How excited are you going to be season three or four of Mandalorian when we find Yoda's home world? Maybe just, uh-uh. uh, will you be able to cope? Will don't. you be able to even just emotionally deal with that? You know how excited I'm going to be we're, – we're cross-talking. You know how excited I'm going to be to see Vagar in House of the Dragon? I know. Yeah. Maybe times it by three to see Yoda's homeworld. Maybe, maybe by three. It, it's, it, it will be, it will be me at a 12 for sure. Um, okay. All right. Any other segments we want to get to before we, we wrap up here? Um, uh, best line, nostalgia moment. Can I get your mind? Yeah. 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 Um, I don't really have a lot of, I don't have any best lines prepared. Do you have uh, any? I, I've got a few, um, more, more scenes really, but the Darth Plagueis, the wise scene, very well done, very delivered dialogues, pretty much on point. I think that's a, probably it's probably the best crafted scene in the film. Uh, execute Order sixty six. Not much dialogue. The line itself is fine, but the playing out of the pacing of it and the dramatic tension of it, watching Yoda react to it, well done filmmaking. I think we I think we can agree on that there. Uh, I don't like Palpatine going to an eleven in terms of just how hammy and how happy goes oh. later. But I will say unlimited power. Is it does it, it makes me laugh and it is intended to be over the top. It's reflecting the megalomania of the character. In some ways, this is the scene of when the James Bond villain can finally explain his evil plan to the hero. This is him finally being comfortable being a villain out in the open after all this time of having to hide it. To a certain degree, he would be chomping at the bit to be over the top with respect to it. So, you know, in a, in a way, I, so I really like. I actually. I really like that he flips and he kind of sounds different in the same way. Like, you know how you were just talking about how you, you know, you like, you preferred the legend canon where, um, you know, the effect on the effect on Palpatine's body of being so enamored with this corrupted part of the force is that Mm -hmm. he just deteriorates. I like that when he drops the facade and he, Mm -hmm. and you hear him, his voice is actually corrupted. Like every yeah. part of him is fucked up because he's living in the. So the fact that he has this crazy, weird, distorted voice to me tracks perfectly, and I really like it. And I also like that it like it's sort of that like Star Wars for dummies moment for the person in the audience. It's like yeah, like Darth Sidious is different than the than Emperor Palpatine, and it's important mm-hmm. for the audience to know that when he is showing you the Sith Master, he talks different, walks different, looks different, acts different. He's a different fucking dude. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, 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 again, I think it's a little bit over the top, but I think it, it fits with the lore. It fits with the character. I, it, it, it works for me. It, it, it's, it's an appropriate, memeable moment in line. Two last ones. I agree with Jimmy. You were like a brother to me, Anakin, and Anakin just screaming <sighs> hatred back at him. I hate is, you. Oh God. It, it's very well done. It said, "Man, that could have gone wrong." But Hayden Christensen knocks it out of the park again with the physical acting. I does. 
Thank he's you. cursed with dialogue, and that's a problem with so many characters that people don't like in Star Wars, that they're just given shit lines. But the physical acting he brings to bear there, the emotion he brings in there, is actually really well done, and he deserves all credit for that. My actual favorite bit of line of dialogue, though, and it may be one of my favorite lines in all of Star Wars, so I gotta get credit for that. So this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. I have used that in my own life in different moments. I like that line so much. That one has stuck with me since. It's a very well-done line. It's Natalie Portman's best delivered line in the entire series. And I think it would be my personal pick for best line, not best scene, but best line of the episode. Um, so I remember when this came out and that this is how Liberty dies to thunderous applause. There was a, a lot of belief uh, that George Lucas was taking a shot at the Bush administration at the time. And maybe he was. I don't know. But I can tell you now that, what, 17 years later, whatever the fuck this is, is it holds up in the story. Yes. It doesn't seem just ramrodded in and out of place because it holds up in what was occurring. Because, like, you know, like, this is this is this is a fictional fantasy joke world, and the, what I'm comparing sure. this to is in, is one of the worst things that ever happened. But you can draw a parallel to Hitler taking over the the German government in democratic in, in 1933. You know, he got 38 percent of the vote. He didn't even get the fucking most vote, and he was able to. Um, they concocted this crazy position called chancellor, and then he was able to move up from there. And it was it was steps. It took it, it, it happened fast, but there were steps to it. And we see in this story these steps, and then it finally all sort of lands at the feet of Amidala as she's watching the culmination of all these steps. Going, I can't fucking believe that people are behind this, um, mm-hmm. and it all just sort of smacks her. I I love the line, and I don't think it's out of place, and it doesn't come across to me as something that was of an era or situational. It seems like it's the story. Nothing as important as that is. And as great as I, I show from, from Hayden Christensen was nothing to me beats the story of Darth Plagueis, the wise Uh, tragedy of Darth Plagueis, the wise um, because it was, that's what I, that's what I love is, is that it's a, you know, we're, we're being fed things. And this yeah. is the this is the one bite where I'm like, oh my god, the the the, the Lego lamb I've got here is huge. Yeah, like it, we're getting it, a lot to chew on it, here. It, this is a guy who's just partially opening a door to reveal there's an entire buffet behind yeah. a locked room, and yeah. he's like, hey, look, there's cake. You want to see more? There's a door right here you can go through. So it, it's just just I, I'm not saying it's the most important thing in the sh- in the movie it isn't but to me it's the most very well and exciting and I love it and of course you know the the way that Ian McDermott does it it, it almost is like um you know you're in a um you're in a theater class and somebody has a like you know a monologue and yeah. he's he's going in and out of different in and in and and like he, he, different voices that he's he's pausing and he's he's, he's even waxing and, nostalgic himself at certain moments in, in yeah that. and there, there's a there's a real close in when he says when he finally reveals that you know well you know his he, he taught his apprentice everything he knows and his apprentice killed him in his sleep and then there's this shot of him Feeling the emotion of knowing that he did this, that he killed that he killed his apprentice or he killed his master, and that he became the master. It was like just so much going on in that scene. It was definitely my favorite, for sure. I think that's a good call. But all the ones that you pointed out are really, really good. Um, I think that there's also the the final friendly scene between Anakin and Obi Wan, where he goes like, I think Anakin says something along the lines of, uh, "So long, my old friend," or ah. something. 
And by the time they leave his friends, by the time they leave his friends, it's heartbreaking. And I think that line gets reused in the Obi Wan series. Uh, my old right, friend, yeah. my old friend, which I really like the continuity there. So yeah, really, really good. Uh, uh, and some just last little bits of nostalgia. Jimmy mentioned this earlier, and I think it's a good thing to point out. I do love how the ships are beginning to resemble their their main trilogy Star Wars counterparts. That there is a progression in the technology, and they're looking more like Star Destroyers. We see the S foils go into attack position, like you know X Wing or Z ninety five Headhunter style. We see what look like proto Tie Fighters. That's cool. I, I like that. We even see Jimmy Smith's hauling around on it when it looks like a Carillion Corvette there at the end. It looks just like the Tantive 5. I like that. That's a, that's a nice bit of continuity to see the technology going in that way. I do love Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa. I think he does a great job with the role. He only has a few scenes here, but he does quite well with them, and it sets up how important he is to the ongoing saga. John Williams is in very solid form again. Or even early on when we see the two starfighters of, the, of uh, Anakin That's and Obi-Wan. Point. We hadn't talked about that. That's a really good point. The music is good. Uh, he does a new one of where it's early on. When, when we, we, the Imperial March comes back to beautiful effect when Anakin's assailing the Jedi Temple and everything else along the lines. But there's a bit of a new one of when uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin and their starfighters are swooping in to go attack the droid uh, ship that has the, the chan- uh, Chancellor Palpatine aboard. And there is, it's regular Star Wars music, but there's an added pulse heart drum beat during the end of it. It is so effective just setting the tension as they're going into this attack run. So John Williams, as usual, knocks, does very well when he's in usual solid form here. One thing I do actually really like, even though it's been made a meme, and it makes me nostalgic, Anakin with the growing yellow eyes of the corruption of the dark side going into it. I like that a lot. I, I can't believe I that. like it too. I can't believe people make fun of that. that. That's, that is exactly what I feel like. Because I think you and I are, are, are online. I think, I think Jamie may be a little bit different. He, he loves his gray Jedi so much he wants he, to make a balance with He, he think, he, cause he keeps talking about, well, ba- balance means a midway between, he thinks nah, the gray nah, Jedi nah, 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 is the nah. balance. So he thinks that like, it's a yin and yang thing. I, know, I have never thought of it that way. I've always thought of the the, the light side is the force, and then mm-hmm. you can you can be fucked up, and then you're the dark side. Like it's a yes. it's a bad corrupted version of it. Is it there's it's something the legends itself is confused about, but the idea that someone can use the dark side and tap into it and not have it have a negative effect upon them, or at least a risk of a negative effect upon them. I never liked that. I think, I think that was always a problem. I think it's a, a misbetrayal of what the films films in the broader series are going for. So Anakin with Sith eyes, I actually like it. I like that demonstration of corruption, and I like when it comes in. And it, it fits well with, again, the physical acting that Hayden Christensen brings to those later scenes. So kudos to it. All right, yeah. So my, I think of all those you said, my, my, my nostalgic moment of the, of the movie has to be when they start to – bleed into the technology we see. In you love the four. ships just as much as I do. I love I that. Do, absolutely. Like when it, the first, I think we see midway, it's almost like midway through the episode or maybe two thirds of the way up there. We see something that starts to look like an Imperial star destroyer. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's kind of like the structures like, there. It's like an evolution of it, early evolution of it. And it's like, uh, and then they, and then they, then they get to the point at the end of the movie where the emperor and Darth Vader are standing on the deck of an Imperial, um, Star Destroyer, I think. Uh, looking and, out of the Death Star structure. Looking out at the Death Star structure, and it all looks exactly the same as Episode Four. Yeah. And that that connection to Episode Four and that continuity is my nostalgic moment. Episode Four, sure. Absolutely. So, sir, right. I got I got to ask you. You've watched the prequels again. You've seen us go through them in line by line, trashing detail the way I personally love to do for anything. Of course, sure. Has this unpacking of the prequels affected your love and appreciation of? No, it's made me like them more. 
um, because I, I, I still I still think that they're massively underrated in that they're telling a really complex, difficult story. I mean, there's a lot that's going on. We talked about it in episode one, where it's like, what's going on? The political stuff in episode one is like really difficult to sort of unpack, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's a very complicated story that brings us to episode four. And, and, you know, the beauty of Star Wars is that we start in the middle. I've always just adored that he started us right in the middle and that mm-hmm. you got a story on both sides of it, you know. Weirdly enough, there's a parallel. Game of Thrones does the exact same thing. We start with the end of the, you know, basically, what, 20, 10, 20 years after the end of the Targaryen reign. We're starting in the middle of the story. I love when mm-hmm. we do that. And going back and telling, I, I started the whole thing. I started the whole review by saying the prequels were necessary. They had to be told. That, that, that's part of the story that had to be told for it all to make sense. And I, I'm more, even more firmly in that view. I will tell you. The things that have changed for me in this viewing is is really around the acting. It's not it's not about the story itself. I have more of an appreciation for what Ian McDermott and Hayden Christensen have done in episode two and three, and uh, more of a dislike of Sam Jackson and um, Natalie Portman and what they did yeah. in the acting specifically. That that was a big change for me because I would have probably gone into this like th- three months ago when we started this. Telling you that Sam Jackson knocked it out of the park as Mace Windu, and now mm-hmm. upon rewatching, I'm like, I don't think that's his best work. <laughs> really don't. Oh, t- definitely not his best work. Man, don't a think good so. Actor, he's been some great things. Oh, of course, yeah, he's one of the best. This does not factor into top five for him. No, no, not at all. So that that that, that my understanding of that is uh, has probably changed a bit. Uh, has anything changed for you? This is going to be an interesting statement, because I still think they're not great films. I, I would straight up say episodes one and two are actually bad films, particularly two for me. Um, but, and this is going to reflect a bit of just how I am a hardcore Star Wars fan at the end. I'm no longer afraid of them. Does that oh. make sense? What's in the, yeah, it does. Yeah. Where, I was actively avoiding these for years. I oh, haven't seen episode fucking, three. I know, sir. We, many of our conversations on pod, you did yes. not want to delve into what was going on in you, the prequels. You, you guys had to wring my fucking arms to get me to yep. go and rewatch these things again. I didn't want to hate them. I didn't want to hate them. I didn't want to, you know, go back and have them be as bad as I remembered or anything else. Because I adore Star Wars. I don't want it to fail. I don't want the bad moments to be front and center of my mind. I want to be the wonderful world that completed my childhood and has continued on through even adulthood that I still appreciate and enjoy. And so I looked at these things with abject fear that I never wanted to, I never wanted to feel that kind of disappointment again with respect to them. Having watched them, having unpacked them with you, having seen where they failed, seen where they succeed, seen where they could have done better, seen where they succeeded. I can appreciate them while still disliking them and without being afraid of them. I can make them part of the Star Wars. I, I can make them part of my Star Wars canon again. I can make them part of my complete understanding of the Star Wars universe without having to feel like I need to turn my back on them to appreciate the rest. I can acknowledge their flaws and I can accept them as they are and make them once more a part of my complete Star Wars universe in a way that I think is essential and in which I have struggled with for years due to just how much these films were hard on me as a Star Wars fan. That all that makes sense. That was a, against a, a, against all odds. You know, I actually had people in the first couple ones that we did like text me and go, "Are you and Spencer like friends? Like you guys don't? You seems like y'all don't like each other when you talk Star Wars." <laughs> uh, because of how, but against all odds, we've landed in a place where not only do we agree, but I really appreciate what you're saying and the story you're telling because I think, first off, I think it's really honest. 
And two, I think it really aligns with a lot of people who are deep Star Wars fans from our generation who look back at the prequels and go, I, I was embarrassed, I didn't like them, and I just want to forget that they happened. I don't want to talk about them. I want to forget them. And I, I really like that you, when, in going back at it, you can still say, they're not for me. They're not, they're, you're never going to say that these are your three favorite movies, but that sure. there's, there's enough good in them that they don't need to be completely ignored. And that to, yeah. me, that, to me, feels like a win, and it also feels like the right place to get to. Because I, I love the prequels, but they are flawed films. They are absolutely flawed films. I happen to love – the things I love about them are so strong that I can, I can deal with it. But I think, we're, I think we're landing in the right place where we can, we can acknowledge these films had flaws. They were a necessary story to be told in the Skywalker saga, but we don't have to just ignore them. And, and this is one thing I do have to thank you for for ringing my arm with respect to this because I I never would have done this without you and without the encouragement of our fan base too. Our fan base was pushing us to get these episodes out sure. with respect to this, and I yeah. I thank you all for it. I did not like the films, or well, I, I still have many of the same problems with the films. We've gone through those, whatever else. Episode two in particular took me five hours to watch, and I was more than <laughs> drunk by the end time it finished. <laughs> but. I very much enjoyed watching them with you. I very much enjoyed being able to understand and appreciate them again. And I feel like in some ways, even with all my problems, it has renewed a lot of my enjoyment and appreciation of the Star Wars universe that I was purposely and almost unnecessarily keeping buried from my discomfort with the original prequels. It is what it is. You need to, there's certain things you have to accept even when you dislike them, be able to appreciate the whole. Otherwise, you're just getting a very limited view of something you otherwise quite enjoy. I think that's a wonderful place to end it. Thank you for that, for that perspective, for doing this with me. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we will, the, the next thing you'll probably hear on this podcast feed is a check in on Andor. We'll probably do a little Andor. There's a lot going on with TV right now, so we probably won't do an episode by episode review of Andor, but we'll do some check ins on it. And then I think eventually, I'm 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 gonna throw this at you, think Spencer. I think eventually we need to do the sequel movies. I think we got to because <laughs> because for no other reason than it will be a, a chance. Finally, finally, our audience will get to see me and you in a tag team match. You know, we're well, always we're always across each other in the ring. It well, will finally be me and you on one side of the tag team match against Jamie. And I think our family. I is- am yeah. looking forward to that so much. We're making we're making Jamie do the recap. We're making him do the recap. He's handling that now. He's the one that's defending these films. That's his job. And we'll and just I'll, punch. All the damn time. I'll, I'll aim low. You aim high. Let's make this happen. <laughs> so we'll, that, we got that to look forward to here on this podcast feed. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you probably in a, maybe a week, two weeks, something like that for an indoor check-in. See you then.